Cocoa Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show each week. So warm gratitude goes to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Leduc, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski and Voice on Technologies, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Bjork, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindner. Thank you so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks. Grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 166. Today's special topic is uh, Marienti's Rally SG Premier. Everybody can hear us now. Take two. <laughs> All right. So, are we ready to start the show now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but let's do it anyway. Better, but I think there's still room for improvement. Just run that. <laughs> uh, I don't think any amount of practice is going to make it any better. So, is the show better with or without sound? <laughs> probably without. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, I think Jim Brain would probably, Jim Brain would probably say without. <laughs> it is. Let's, All right. Let's, let's mute everybody then. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> All right. Let me make sure I got some of these buttons in the right place. Uh, I think so for now. Um, also, it looks like right. the chat fixed because that was an issue before the show started, but none of the chat from YouTube, et cetera, was coming through on the panel on the left there. But Yeah, it didn't. All of a sudden, it did. It, yeah, so it was a problem on you know, a server end or something. It wasn't us for a change. <laughs> Ken's complaining. Ken's complaining. We have audio now. <laughs> yeah. Well, can't please everybody. Oh, Explain uh, to him where the volume control is and just run it to zero. <laughs> just tell him to be quiet with his canned food. <laughs> There's an X in the corner of your screen. Okay. Well, I guess let's go ahead and get the uh, introduction started. Hi, um, I'm Ron Del Lowe from Arizona. 
Okay, so starting in the middle of the screen from Arizona. Ron, you're so shy. <laughs> All right, so uh, in the upper corner, we get uh, Patrick Euland. No idea how I got there, but I can find the unmute button. Hi, folks. Hello. And uh, next across is uh, your host for today. Uh, next over is uh, Mark Overhoster. Hi there. The I'm the Apple guy. Glad to except, be here. Except you're out of uniform today. No, 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 the headgear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There. Now, hey. now we recognize you. Yeah, yeah, now things are going in the right direction. I picture him yeah, as a deranged picture. doctor for some reason. Could, could you imagine you sit down and he's... I think he was one of the guest stars in Bedlam, that old text adventure <laughs> game, wasn't he? I think the, the, the facial recognition system will work properly now that he's got the glasses on. Yeah. All right. Next up is L. Curtis Boyle with the news. Hello, everyone. All right. Care's return. Then we have uh, Nick Mariota. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here. All right. And traveling on the road, Jason Reichard, Coco Man. Good afternoon from the highways and byways of America. That's about he's right. In the, he's in the Matrix. Brought to you by Sprint. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the Matrix. Uh, next up, uh, Ron Delvo. Yes, again. <laughs> again, Hello. that's right. Now you're in the right order. All right. You're out of and, order. Uh, you're all, all right. Order. Then we got uh, R. Allen Murphy joining us. Howdy, howdy from Texas. All right. Hey. And then Carriage Return, Line Feed. Next up, Ding. David O'Connor from Down Under. Hello, everybody. Hopefully, you can see me up the right way and not upside down. <laughs> yeah, David, we flipped, you, you we flipped the screen around. <laughs> okay. And then uh, Barn Row Middle is uh, David Veery. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Hey, David. Good. Otherwise known as Mr. Dave6809. You may know him by that name. You may. All right. And then um, last but not least, uh, Nick uh, Mariantes. Good day, everyone. And uh, sorry in advance. Show <laughs> 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 oh, for yourself being on here. I'm not sure which. <laughs> we're we're going to give you the spotlight a li little later anyway. We're <laughs> sorry. apologizing for. <laughs> Counting on you, Nick, to save this train wreck. Are you previewing Donut Dilemma 6? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got something to do maybe with the title of the show. Isn't it Donut Dilemma 13, Baker's Dumb Dozen Stump. Revenge? Ooh. <laughs> Good game. All right. So uh, let's go. Let's run. Uh, with the intros done, let's go run our uh, public service announcement. And then we'll. Uh, uh, you ready with news, uh, Curtis? Oh, sure. Okay, let me go ahead and uh, <laughs> run this, and then we'll get into the news. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. 
COCO123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool COCO periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the COCO123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Cristobal. Muppet News Flash. All right, so I'll stop share here so you can pick up the share. Shall do. And just before we do that, I just wanted to add on to Steve's uh, little blurb there about anybody can come on the show. That is absolutely true. We do ask, though, that you try to get on the Discord call a little bit before the show starts, because if people start breaking in the show in the middle of the time, of course, it gets kind of messy and stuttery. Not that we're you know already doing that already, but it's even worse. <laughs> and so, you missed uh, the introduction. I just want to make sure that people know that you sh you should you know try to come in early if you possibly can. If you have something that you have to do beforehand and you might have to join the show late, please notify the hosts way ahead of time so that we know to let you in when you come in. But basically, if you show up like right when the show starts or after the show is already undergoing, unless you've made special prearrangements, we probably won't put you on because it just breaks the flow of the show too much. Yeah. But I just wanted to mention that because uh, I know some people have been wondering about that. Do they show up like literally on the, the second the show starts and want to jump on? That's it, it just becomes a bit of a hassle. So. Or way after the fact. Okay. I'm hearing some echo. Yeah, we're pretty much in background vocals. Somebody, yeah. A female. Mm. Someone hit Somebody's the other half, maybe? I hear it stop now, it sounds like. Hey, not a, not a lot of news this week. Now, there might have been more and I missed it. I had to really rush it this morning because I was running way behind schedule. So if anybody had any cool stories that they saw that I missed here, just let me know. 
Uh, first one up, uh, Canadian Retro Things has a new video showing him hooking up his giant Panasonic TV radio cassette all in one unit uh, that he's demoed before, but this time he hooks it up to his MT10. Um, that's the unit there, so it's got the little tiny screen on the bottom left there, cassette reporter built in. And uh, he'd hooked it up to the Coke and he could get it to load programs, but he couldn't get it to save properly, but it was iOware. Uh, I'll give you one spoiler on this one as he goes through it. He did figure out uh, how to fix it up enough that actually he could do recording. And he's noticeably moved when he actually gets it to load the program back that he saved on it. Because um, he's been fighting with this for a couple of weeks. So it's a rather interesting video. So keep up the good work with that. Up next, uh, Davey Mitchell, who was in uh, the YouTube chat earlier. So if he's on there and wants to throw any extra comments, he can. Uh, Babiski posted a link on his blog, Davey's Retro Corner, in the Dragon Facebook group. And I just took the link straight from his blog here. Uh, this entry talks about a 3D terrain generating program that was originally from the Dragon User Magazine. And it even includes hidden line removal. Now, it's written in basic, so it's not exactly quick or anything. But you actually can get it to program it to do different you know, terrain types. As you can see on these two, there's a fairly simple terrain on the top. And there's a fairly complex one on the bottom. Uh, but it's a basic listing with an actual explanation in the article of how this works. So if somebody wants to, you know, take this this technique and then you know, switch it over to assembly to speed it up here, I think you could do some pretty interesting stuff. Because we do have some wireframe games, but most of the time they're not hidden line removal. Like you can see the lines right through the object. Like if you look at Rommel 3D or Rommel's Revenge or um, Space Wreck by Spectral Associates, it's basically just raw 3D lines. Or that demo that uh, Eric Gaberlick was doing uh, upgrades to from Hot Cocoa from back in 83. So this is actually one that does the proper removal so you can do proper terrain where you, you don't see through to the back lines. So that, I found that pretty interesting. I might have to take a look at that, you know, when I get caught up in all my Nitrous 9 manual updates and things here. So, because I think you could do some pretty interesting things with that if we can get the speed up. Hey, Curtis. Yep. I just wanted to interject that a couple of months ago on, I think it was Facebook, somebody mentioned a book that's uh, done for the Apple II and actually the uh, IBM. But I've looked at the Apple Soft examples and it could probably pretty easily be converted over for the color computer. Anyway, it's uh, called Microcomputer Graphics by Roy E. Myers. And he has complete things including hidden line removal and doing clipping on regions and being able to uh, you know present objects that look 3D in a 2D space and stuff like that. So it was a really, really, really good book. And you can find it. Okay, and it's just general algorithms that would work on pretty well anything then. Well, it's yes, basic, and I think there's some machine code, but you know, it's all documented. And so, I mean, I've looked at it, and, and it's pretty pretty easy to convert the basic over for uh, uh, the the Tandy color computers basic. So it's you know, it's AppleSoft, which is Microsoft basic. So yeah, I've actually thought about too, so. yeah. So I thought about going through and rewriting the uh, the uh, Tandy code so it would match up with the stuff in the book, and so then you could use the book and the Tandy code to do stuff. But anyway, it's like I said, it's got chapters on doing that exact sort of stuff. Okay, that's and cool. explains it. I will mention that uh, Dragon User Magazine actually has been completely archived on the uh, Internet Archive too, so all those issues are actually available for people who want to you know go through them. So there's two resources there, I guess, to do the hidden line removal. It'd be interesting to compare the two. Like maybe they're done the same way, probably written around the same time. Yeah, I would think so. This is uh, copyright um, eighty-two. Yeah, yeah. the Dragon one was I think eighty-three or eighty-four, so pretty close to the same time frame. Uh, next step. Uh, the Trash Talk podcast has a game programming contest coming on. I think it was Brian Weasler that mentioned that we should probably mention it because it covers the Cocoa as well as the Model 1, 2, 3, etc. Um, and then basically it's based on one of the last public Trash Talks where they had a bunch of guests from you know all over the place, including a bunch of us Cocoa people. 
Uh, and they were saying, you know, like, you know, the Cocoa people, we usually get four or five at least, you know, commercial games out per year. Whereas the Model 1-3 camp maybe gets one every couple of years type thing. So they decided to do a game competition, but they're actually allowing the Cocoa to be one of the entries as well. And there's actually prizes and they're hardware prizes. So it's your choice. If you win, you can get, you know, some of the special hardware boards, like hard drive adapters and stuff for the Tier C Model 1. But they also have stuff like the Orc 90, Orc 90 compatible card for the Coco or, or a Coco floppy disk controller um, that you can get to it too, so or through it too. So, and this one has a fairly long deadline, and they're kind of hinting, you know, with with all the COVID shutdowns and stuff worldwide, you should have plenty of time to work on these things, right? So, um, I think the deadline is I think the end of November or something. Yeah, November 30th is the closing date. So lots of time to do it, but. Uh, Definitely way if you if you if you've got model one and three stuff as well. I mean, feel free to do that as well as the Coco stuff because uh, they definitely need some more you know game programmers there. There's only been one or two games I've seen in the last couple of years, um, but uh, anybody anybody's allowed to enter. So I think it's a good idea. Uh, the fact that they've actually actually got some hardware prizes is kind of cool too. So uh, just hit their website there, which I'm sure Mark is posting into the chat, so you can grab the link and uh, take a look. Already done. Uh, next up, Tim Hallerhan has a video demonstrating him powering his Coco 2, which he's been working on for a while. But the different thing here is he's powering it from USB. Um, so I don't know if I get... Uh, I don't think there's any sound. Yeah. Oh, I probably forgot to share the sound again. Oh, I'll just fast forward here then a bit. So obviously he's got a Coco VJ in there too. And then he kind of goes to the explanation. That's my three and a half minute video. So if you're interested in doing that and he gets into the technicalities of it, but here's is actually running off of USB instead of the regular power supply. That's a, uh, must be a fairly hefty USB supply to run that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not a hardware guy. So you guys will have to comment on that. Um, Usually USB outlets are limited to either 500 milliamps or one amp um, and I don't can, imagine that would be enough to run a cocoa you can do 2.4 if you really fudge it but like where are all the salt voltages coming from and stuff does that all work I haven't thought yeah, about that stuff in years but you've got to come up with 9 volts or yeah. something and I use a charge pump of capacitors usually I mean you know the, yeah. the max 3232 chips don't need a 12 volt source well, obviously, it's not. It wouldn't be running off a computer USB port because they're limited to one amp, or sometimes five hundred milliamps. But an external power supply, you could. I mean, yeah, I've it might a, be a wall plug amp. USB, maybe, or something like they use for charging yeah, phones. Yeah. Or, right? Yeah, that might make some sense. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just thought, in addition to five volts, you had to provide something else. But maybe I'm wrong. It's been twenty years. Well, because the modulator it's... needs like eight volts. Uh, the Coco One has a twelve volt on the supply, but the two and three don't, and that's why the uh, yeah. things like the, the the graphic pad that run on twelve volts don't work with the Coco Two or Three unless you have an MPI which has twelve. Yeah. Volts. Right, right, right. But then I think they also did like nine volts from the salt chip to power the like the modulator. I think someone said there, so, there's something well, weird in there that I kind of half remember. Well, if it's supplying, if the USB is supplying the input to the salt chip, then the salt chip can still do its thing. Right, and if you're using Coco VGA, who cares if the modulator works, right? So yeah, well, I think the salt's using a negative voltage, though. 
but mm. anyway, yeah, he's, he's active on Facebook. So if you guys have any questions of how he did it or anything, or, you know, technical comments or technical questions or comments on it, then uh, feel free to engage him on Facebook on that. I wouldn't mind getting him on the show to explain it at some point either. So, but uh, yeah, it just sounded an interesting way. Cause I know some people have, you know, have blown power supplies and for some of us, you know, less technically inclined, it might be easier just to plug in a USB wall wart and go from there. So if it's not mm -hmm. too complicated to set it up that way. It's certainly interesting. Should have stopped it with his eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, would have, he would appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> Next up, uh, we talked about this channel before, and I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. The guy's name, real name is Keith. He calls himself Chibi Akumas or something like that on YouTube. He does a ton of these assembly language tutorials for a variety of chips. He's done 6502, 68000, Z80, or Z80. He's in Britain, so Z80 in his case. Um, so he's been doing the 6809. We covered his first uh, one a couple weeks ago. So this time he's done part two, and this is a fairly heavy one. It's going through all the various addressing modes of the 6809. And this is this is more like a reference video. It's not really a tutorial per se. I mean, it teaches you what they do, but it goes at rapid fire because the 6809 has so many so many addressing modes compared to most 8-bit CPUs of the day. And when you start getting to stuff like, you know, extended indirect and indirect indexed and stuff, it gets complicated, which even you can see he's trying to figure out exactly what it's doing in a couple of spots too. So, but if you want a really good run through of all the addressing modes that 6 and 9 is capable of, it's a, it's a really good uh, video for that. And he's got sample bits of code for every single one with, you know, memory dumps. So if you're doing indirect stuff, you can see where it's getting its data from. So, and he's, he's continuing, he's got many more 6809 ones to, you know, tutorials to do in the future. He's ultimately wants to eventually write a Vectrex game, which also uses the 6809. That's the vector-based video game console system from the early eighties, which is fairly rare and pretty cool. And lastly, we've got Ed Snyder cause he's not making enough hardware yet. So uh, this, <laughs> this is loosely based on his, um, uh, upgrade to the MC10 that he did for Stevie actually recently here. We made the 8K mod where actually you got 8K RAM, but he also modded the circuitry so the VDG can actually access the whole thing because the hey, right way it's originally mean... wired up, it only does 4K maximum. So you can't use P mode 3, you can't use P mode 4. Even though the video chip's fully capable of doing it in the MC10, you can't actually link the RAM up to it so you can't get the full screen. So he upgraded Stevie's, I believe, with 8K and then fixed the video circuitry in his board here which once again has his uh, self-portrait in the uh, left right-hand side there. Um, it's basically <laughs> a drop-in. You have to desolder some chips in the MC10, unfortunately. Here it kind of shows where it lays out onto the circuit board. And uh, but once it's in, it basically this one will give you 32K of RAM, and it fixes the VDG thing so you can actually access the higher mode screens. I'm not sure if it lets you use the entire 32K for video or not. I didn't see him detail that or not. Knowing Ed, probably it does, which means you could even do page flipping and stuff like that, you know, animations where you can actually draw on one screen while leaving the other one displayed. I'm hoping it does that too, because then the MC10 could get some wicked games for it or, or you know, other fancy graphical effects. So this is still in the prototyping stage, uh, not, not for sale or anything yet, but uh, looks promising. So any of our MC10 users out there will want to get a pretty decent upgrade. And I think it might still work with the MCX... 128, I'm not sure, um, but I'll have to let Ed you know, explain that too as well. And anyway, that's it for news. Uh, did anybody else see anything on Facebook or on the list server, anything of, of newsworthy note that I missed? Because like I said, I did rush this this morning. Uh, no. No, okay. 
In that case, the news is now done. Okay. All right, so we're back to there. And next up is uh, High Score Challenge will be up here in just a bit. We're going to run a couple of uh, uh, new to Discord, and we got a new Cocoa Thoughts. And uh, then we'll get into the High Score Challenge. How's that sound? Sounds awesome. Thank you, Mark. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? Please welcome Rich N. Rich Natilli, who's been a Cocoa enthusiast since the 80s and is now working on 6809 assembly with MAME on his Mac. Cranky65, Donald Brobeck. The Cocoa was his second computer and he's working on setting up a Cocoa Pie. Charlie2020 got his first Cocoa 3 in 1990. He was published in the world of 68 Micros, and he's a fan of OS9 and Drivewire. And last, but certainly not least, please welcome Neil from the Coco Crew Podcast. And a very special thanks go to Alpen Grace, Voice on Tech, our Coco Talk patrons, David Ladd, Paul Fiscarelli, Rob Inman, and Terry Steggy for boosting the Coco Discord server. Join us on Discord at discord.cocotalk.com. Dot live. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gine. A rare misstep for the rugby circle. Death Trap is one of the most inaccurate movie adaptations ever. I mean, where's Michael Caine and Superman? go straight into the video if you want all right guys we had another fantastic week with the game on challenge 20 people playing death trap r alan murphy 110 david croker 2511 mark bosley 5434 joshua 11155 rogelio 13074 damon 6872 Graham W, 20,187. Me, 21,799. Catlord, 25,558. Alpengrace, 27,263. Jim Rides, 30,337. OG Stevie Stroh, 34,772. Tom C, 36,204. Canadian Retro Things, 38,703. Tasman, 47,579. Al Curtis Boyle, 69,117. Frodo, 70,939. Diego, 84,753. Buck Owens, 90,661. And at the top, Mr. Dave for the first time in number one with 107,243. And he rolled the score over, which I thought was pretty funny. He had to tell me that the, the screenshot was inaccurate because it rolls over at 99. So congratulations, Mr. Dave. That was uh, fantastic. Thank you. Yay, also, I Dave. want to give you a last minute update on that too. Uh, Frodo in the chat mentioned uh, he's a bit late, decided to have another, one last go at Death Trap and he finally beat it. So other than Buck, he's actually beaten the game and got the congratulations too. No, no, Buck finished the game. Oh, I see. So in addition to, like Buck was the yes. only other one I think we did, but uh, Frodo did it as well. And yeah, I think if I understand his text here in the chat correctly, he was actually streaming it on Twitch. So you can go review it afterwards too. Hey Mark, I'm going to share my screen. Oh, Frodo says he rolled the score over too. Yes, it rolls over 100,000. So let me just share my screen. 
So the author just didn't think anyone would ever get that much score, huh? <laughs> so for the first time, our user scores higher than what was in Rainbow. Oh, uh, no Rainbow way. was 95, and uh, Mr. Dave blew that out of the water. And, and so did Frodo. And Frodo, yes. So here's uh, here's some gameplay that uh, from Mr. from um, sorry from Buck Owens, and here he is getting the last diamond. Nuts. And he got the congratulations. That made me wince when I first saw that, but uh, yeah, because he got <laughs> so that's the so there's the congratulations screen and it just flickers green and, and orange. And so well, if you still spell con con congratulations, <laughs> it's a typo. Yeah, well, you know, software developers were testers and QA back and, and yeah, uh, we weren't strong and, in English back then. I can vouch for that. That's why we went to computers. <laughs> that's why we became computer programmers. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, actually, Buck Owens did play again after the scores were submitted, and he was he was going to go for wrapping over hundred thousand, but he couldn't resist getting the last diamond and finishing it. Uh, <laughs> I think he got ninety seven uh, as a final score. So he just couldn't turn down that last diamond. So uh, yeah, yeah, interesting, but, interesting yeah. game, kind of polarizing. We had people who really liked it and people who weren't so fond of it. Um, I know I liked it. My big issue with it is the amount of randomness. Uh, you're just put in a situation that no matter how much skill you have, you just cannot get out of. So that was my gripe with the game. Hey. But it was still strangely oh. fun. Any other, anybody agree or disagree? I, or? I tried to avoid a lot of the randomness. Like, I avoided those little uh, question marks. But even hyperspace is, uh, I assume it's kind of random? Although I don't know. I don't know if the game had preset places you can hyperspace to or not. Well, it wasn't such a bad random, but the, the question block, you know, it, it would blow you up at the wrong time, or... Yeah. I mean, if you needed to, okay, but... Otherwise, yeah, it could be bad. There was some strategy, like if you're running out of fuel, and uh, you knew death was coming, you could either run out of fuel and stay where you are, or stop and wait for the square to get you, in which case you'd hyperspace. So you did have some decisions you could make. And uh, I, I guess one of the goals is to get those extra tanks because basically you know you're going to be going through tanks like crazy. Yeah, so and, and some of these massive tank you know, hordes are, are you have to kill yourself a couple times to do it. So you have, it also depends, like, do I have enough lives left to even make it there? Right. Um, so there's some strategy involved, but... So it, yeah, it's basically designed to uh, you're, you're going through lives and having to sacrifice lives to get more lives. So I don't know, overall, I thought it was interesting. It was a game I enjoyed as a team. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it too. A couple of things I wanted to mention too. Uh, one thing I had not realized because until we finally read the directions, I didn't know you had to collect four diamonds to actually win the game. Because back in the day, I didn't have a clue. Um, but the fact that that blue square, the more diamonds you get, the faster he gets. Because at oh, the yeah. beginning, you can you can maneuver around him. You can kind of like suck him into falling up to a certain point. Then you can just you know, go right around and get past him. By the time you've got three diamonds, he's going the same speed you are. And he can go diagonally through walls. So he will catch you and kill you unless you can hit a hyperspace. So that, that changes the strategy quite a bit playing-wise. And then I think it was Buck was looking through and he found some old ads for Death Trap. And apparently the original plan was that they would sell upgrade discs or cassettes with entirely new mazes. I don't know if that was ever actually done. I've, I've never seen one or even seen a hint of one, but he did find the actual ad from Rugby Circle stating that that was the plan. That makes me wonder if this was designed in such a way that you could um, have custom-made levels or whatever. I would say it is, yeah. I, I mean, maybe one of us has to disassemble at some point, figure out how it works, and then somebody else can devise a maze that's even more sinister. 
I was gonna say less. <laughs> no question marks. A little less random, but more. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that'd be interesting to find out. Um, the other thing you could, when at the very beginning, especially when the square was small, it was slower. You could use it to get rid of some of the, uh, especially the D's. Uh, yeah, because it's destructive, what, right? Anything it goes over, it, it destroys. Is that right? Including or, diamonds. Um, I tested that I, for science. Yeah. And yes, it does destroy diamonds as well. So you don't want to do that. But uh, yeah, so you could use, so there was some strategy involved. Um, yeah, because if you get stuck in an area at an early level where he's still running pretty slow and you're surrounded by, you know, things that are going to kill you, then you could actually like maneuver him to go free you up. And then you could, you know, and run around him and then get out of there without dying. Yeah. Some of the maze layouts had me question what they were thinking. Like they'd have a corridor with a map followed by another map, and it was like that doesn't seem terribly useful. So uh, uh, some of the some of the design had me scratching my head a bit. Um, I, I think that was to show you two different parts. Like after you went down, I know which one you're talking about. You can actually see a chunk of a totally different set of the maze below further. So it kind of gives you a heads up because, of course, back then the full maze like we have on my website or on the archive didn't exist. So all you had was these little map squares you could hit and that's the only way you could kind of get an idea where you're going and it was funny we had uh, Buck Owens doing some uh, analysis of the scoring and that and it turned out that with the 6309 you actually got higher bonuses for the uh, for the diamonds I believe it was which is kind of interesting so however, yeah I, I gotta figure what's going on there because I can't figure out how that would even work um, unless he's but, doing illegal instructions or something that's falling through somewhere but uh because basically the diamond image, score right? is supposed to be based on how many of the P things you get, the point things, because that's kind of like a multiplier for your diamonds. And if you get a ton of those, then your score goes way up when you get a diamond compared to if you don't have, or if you haven't ran any, over any of the P squares. So Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. They must do something funky to calculate it. To... Well, there's some randomness to it too, though. But yeah. Because I, I know once I read the directions and discovered that the P, like my scores were sitting around the fifteen to 20,000 range, no matter how good I did. Uh, but I didn't know about getting the Ps. When I started going out of my way to get the P points squares and then got a diamond afterwards, then I noticed my score literally doubled or tripled from what it was previous. I noticed a lot of the screenshots, people were doing pretty uh, nice looking palette hacks. Uh, basically in this screen mode, palettes uh, uh, five through eight would control the, uh, the um, colors that you see. So a lot of yeah. people were I was I was a purist. I left mine on the original. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, period correct. Yeah, I know. So um, yeah, so like I said, it was a it was a bit of a polarizing game, but we still had a, a really good turnout, and I appreciate everybody who uh, took part. And there were some interesting discussions and interesting discoveries and uh, things that uh, didn't even know from back in the day. Yeah, and I will mention that as far as the polarization goes, I mean, the, the Amigos have now started up game challenges for all the different shows that they ended up having to postpone slash cancel for now uh, because of Bolt's new job. And and they're having the same problem where, or not problem, I guess, but the same issue, um, where certain games, you know, people will try and go, this game's not for me, I'm not participating this this week or what, this two-week period or whatever it is. So that's that's to be expected. Not, not every game is going to be everybody's that's okay. cup of tea. I don't want people to play because they feel obligated to. I mean, if there's something that really does not interest you, that's okay. Hopefully next week it'll be something uh, that's more appealing. Yeah. And I do have a question for you, Nick. Um, there are some interesting, unique games in the Coco, but they're not terribly score-based. So is that something we could cover and just not worry about score just to get people experience it? Or is that kind of yeah. part of the purpose? Or 
It would be, I mean, because we don't really emphasize score. I know we, I know we do the ranking at the end. That's just for bragging rights and just for fun. But uh, I mean, yeah, certainly one of the one of the goals of this is to just exp- uh, experience games we may not have uh, run across in the past. So yeah, I'd definitely be open to uh, to uh, entertaining different ways of playing or different uh, just to get more exposure to games. So. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I, I think there's a few out there that could potentially be, you know, very interesting to play. Probably not everybody's cup of tea, as you mentioned. Yeah, I'll um, take the opportunity to remind you. I'm definitely open to suggestions. If there's a game you'd like to see featured, just send me a PM and uh, I'll check. Well, it as soon out. as I get the cheat pokes, I'll let you know. So I'm, so, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Curtis is not able to submit any recommendations. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Proto so, says, nah, the hyperspace is a random, but at least you had a chance to get away from the square most of the time. But I wonder if it was purely random, because there was one diamond inside a square. And if it was purely random, the chances of hitting that diamond would be pretty remote. So there must be some, there must be predetermined squares that you hyperspace to. Yeah. And Robert Allen Murphy has a good suggestion. If somebody does figure out the, the format of the map and it was designed to be re- easily replaced, you know, as, as they were planning on doing back in the day, is that somebody should come up with a maze editor for it, whether it's on That'd a PC awesome. or a Coco, and then you can actually just create your own. And maybe add some two-player action and network play at the same time, and then we'll have a lot yeah. of Yeah. And, exactly. sh- and, be- and the ability to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and why, yeah, to make it a 3D maze. What the hell? Yeah. With those couple, <laughs> minor, with those couple minor changes. Let's just create a new game. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a little frustrating. You're driving a tank and you can't shoot. You think uh, Ben Drakes could help us out to, with the 3D part? <laughs> yeah, the virtual reality version of it, you have to actually walk on the platform. <laughs> Driving the tank. Yeah. I, I like the fact that it's just an original game. I mean, this is another one where I haven't seen anything really like it. Yeah, that's why I chose else. it. I try to have original games as well as ports. So last week was a port, so this week I wanted something a little more original. So... Okay. Are we ready to move on? So I have two things yeah. left. First is will be uh, the game for this coming week. It's it's a it's kind of a port. It's inspired by an arcade game. Uh, anybody recognize that? Zaxxon. No, I'm just kidding. Looks <laughs> like Zaxxon with canoes. Yeah. That's right. Ganabuana. Oh, it does that. Yes. Which supports the sound speech pack. It does. So our game next week is Ghana Buana. I hate when that menu comes down and I can't. There we go. Hey, you spell that. <laughs> kind of there loosely based on Congo Bongo, I guess. Yes. With extra W's, Guana Buana. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that's our game for this week. And I'm also going to pre-announce a game coming up in about four weeks. And the reason I'm pre-announcing it is because uh, it's a commercial game and there's no digital option. So you have, so we pretty much have to buy it. And that game, it's, it's a really good game. It's called Bomb Threat, uh, written by Rick Adams. And it was actually a game that was he wrote to be released. And then Tandy didn't uh, pick up on it because the Coco 2 was nearing its life's end of life cycle. So it's a really good game. Uh, there's a couple ways you can get it. It's uh, on CD uh, from rickadams.org slash bomb threat. And also this past week, uh, Neil Blanchard from the Coco Crew uh, started creating cartridges 
of bomb threat. Um, mm. And he's cool. in Can he's in Canada. Uh, so that's why we're giving we're giving four weeks before we'll do the actual game. So if you're interested, uh, try and buy it relatively soon. And to get it from Neil, sorry, I clicked. Uh, I clicked wrong. To get it from Neil, you just uh, send an email to Neil N E I L at cococo.org. And uh, like I said, he's in Canada. It's thirty dollars, I believe. That's U.S. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the disc version from Rick is twenty dollars U.S. plus shipping. And uh, Rick will get a cut of the proceeds from the cartridge versions. Um, so yeah. And if you want to see any gameplay, uh, Mark will post a link in the. Uh, in the channel, and you can see uh, when Stevie uh, debuted this game. It's a very, it's a cool action puzzle game. You're basically moving boxes away from these bombs that are going off, because uh, as the bombs go off, they take out anything around them. So you want to uh, move all the boxes safely away from them as these bombs are exploding. Some so of the really, boxes have bombs in them, and that gets revealed as you play. So what you, looks safe isn't. Yes, and you can push the boxes. You can pull them. Uh, you can like pull them backwards, and it's it's, it's a really fun game. Pull one box, but you can push. A you can of push multi, yes. So that'll be our game. Like I said, in four weeks. So if you're interested in taking part, uh, pick up either the disc version or the cartridge version, and uh, and then we'll be ready to go in in, uh, in four weeks' time. So uh, wait, what, when would that be? Like four weeks from now. Four so. weeks, yeah. So uh, about the end of July. The end of July. Yeah, it should be like the 25th or so, something like that, or 20, whatever. However the calendar lines up. I'll mention a couple other things, too. The The game was originally sold on cartridge um, by the Coco Crew when, when Rick first re-completed it because he'd lost the original source. He only had a videotape showing the old gameplay. Um, this time around, though, Neil's actually doing it with a different uh, cartridge because I think the originals were done with the orange uh, plastic molded yeah, cartridges cool that they got made. Yeah, cool and this is like a, a nice yellow one, so it's a unique version. This is a, the first time they've been selling the cartridge version of Bomb Threat for quite a while. Actually, they sold out of the previous run. And it I includes let Neil, the box and the instructions and everything else too, as you see here. And I, I let Neil a, know that we're going to be doing this as game of the week. He was very pleased and, and said thank you. Uh, he seemed very appreciative that we were uh, uh, having this as game of the week. So I have a tip to uh, make it so you can win the game potentially. Uh, um, what, before you put the uh, cartridge in, be sure and blow on the end that goes into the, into <laughs> the computer. That's right. And the other thing I wanted to mention, um, as I mentioned briefly here, Rick had started doing this game back in the early 80s or mid 80s, I should say, and was going to try to sell through Tandy. Then Tandy didn't pick it up and they actually shopped it out to a couple of third party ones and they didn't want it, want it either. Partly because of the Coco 3 and partly because I think it just was a bit too different. It's an original game, once again, not based on any arcade game. Um, but we have interviewed Rick and Rick has actually been demoing it and showing the programming progress as he was developing the game, redeveloping it you know, a few years back. So there's there's a couple of really good interview videos with Rick and also some just regular episodes of Coco Talk kind of going through the evolution of the game as it became a reality again. So any of the newer viewers here that have not watched any of that history of Bomb Threat, I would highly recommend you go back through the Coco Talk catalog on YouTube and, and watch some of those, and, and including the official release time when the first version of the cartridge came out, because it's a very fascinating history on the whole thing. Well, I don't want to give spoilers, but isn't it true, Curtis, that Rick lost the source code and recreated it from video? Yeah, yeah. So... he had a video because his kids liked it, and they recorded a video of them playing it, and then he uh, 
went trying to find the code again. We got some echo here. I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, but yeah, he had to recreate the game from scratch, like reprogram it without any of the original code. And all he had to work from was this, you know, videotape with you know wavy lines and crap in it. But uh, I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah. All right, and uh, and once again, the game next week is Ganabuana. So uh, thanks, guys, for uh, your support in this segment, and I uh, hope you have a nice, uh, have fun playing. And we'll see you next week. So we have some uh, game on news. Yes, we do. And the last one will involve some Australian named Nick Morantes uh, premiering a video for his new game, which I will be playing in its entirety. Um, Mikey. And then, okay. and then we'll let him comment on it, and then the rest of us will poo-poo it. I mean, uh, praise it. So, uh... <laughs> All right, here we are. We're back. Can I say one quick thing? If you already bought Bomb Thread on disc uh, from when Rick released it a couple of years ago, you're fine. You don't have to buy another copy. This is just for people who don't have the game who want to take part. So if you already have it, you're good to go. Yeah. Now, we should mention the cartridge version. I think there was two releases because a bug was discovered after the very first run. <laughs> yes. Our very own Grant Leedy found it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you have the original cart version, you might want to get a replacement, which I think Rick would just send you because you've already paid for it the first time. So... But I just wanted to mention that because there is a, the, the original run of cartridges actually had a bug burnt in the ROM that was fixed later, and the later run of cartridges before even this new one had that bug fixed. So, thank you, Curtis. I didn't want me to step on you, but I wanted to clear that up. You problem? This time I'm gonna try to remember to share sound. I got yelled at last week, remember? So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that worked. A sec here. That's the window I wanted. Okay, first up on Game On News is Paul Shoemaker, um, who did that dungeon crawler he had to pull because of some copyright issues with the artwork, which is too bad because it was an awesome looking game for the Coco 1 and 2. So this time he's working on a Coco 3 dungeon crawler, and this tile set here is kind of showing a preview of what he's kind of planning on. But this time, as he mentions, the tile set is based on a 256 color acid kit that he purchased from Game Nev Market, so it's going to be legit this time, so he doesn't have to worry about it getting pulled down. So, um, He's been working on, you know, converting 256 color down to 6-bit, you know, 63, 64 color RGB values with Coco 3. So that's kind of a sneak preview of what he's planning on. I think it's going to be similar to the original game that he did for the Coco 1 and 2, except enhanced for Coco 3 graphics. I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I wish we could in some way resolve the issue we had with the previous person. He actually had reached out to them and basically they said, you know, you know there wasn't a way they're going to allow the use of the artwork, clip artwork that he'd used. Um, I'm hoping we have some good artists in the Coco community here that maybe can just redesign some of the uh, the monsters and stuff so that he can re-release re the game legally later on. So if any of you uh, listening now, because that happened you know a while ago, anybody that's new that actually is able to draw some fairly decent artwork in the uh, two-color P-Mode 4 screen, uh, maybe get in contact with them and, and you know, work out uh, getting some replacement artwork from them, then he can re-release that game because it was an awesome game, but it was pulled pretty quickly because of the legal issues. Okay, next up. Neil, of course, is releasing Bomb Threat what? back on cartridge. I, I'm totally new to me just now. Um, but as, as mentioned, it's, it's a really good original game. Order it from Neil. Uh, the, in case you forgot the email address, it's actually on 
the uh, Facebook post as well. So you can get in contact with him there. Now, Neil's also releasing another cart, 3D Monster Maze, which is by Evan Wright. Same guy who did Hunt the Wumpus and some other games. This is based on the uh, Sinclair Spectrum ZX81 game, which was a little black and white game with a 3D maze you wanted through, and you have this Tyrannosaur thing trying to chase you down and eat you type thing. So the Coco version here actually comes, and it's also $30 on uh, cartridge. Uh, this one actually comes, and I'm not sure what the reason for the two different versions of the cases, but he's got two different colors of the cartridge, and he's got two different covers for the actual box. And I'm not sure if there's anything else special between the versions, or if it's just you know, to make two different unique ones. Um, I think one is the uh, blue cartridge, which is just a plain blue cartridge. The other one's a translucent cartridge. You can kind of see through it, which I think is pretty cool. So I think that's obviously one I'll want to get. Um, I'm not sure, like I said, about the box art. If you if maybe you can ask if you can get one of each. I'm not sure if there's any difference between them. It doesn't look like it, but uh, it's a pretty decent game. We've previewed it here a while ago while Evan was working on it. Now, Evan just this morning or just last night, I think, released a new video kind of demonstrating the gameplay of it and also some of the improvements because this is one thing, aside from kicking it up to color because the ZX81 did not have color, uh, he's also added in like mapping and some other features to it that are not in the original ZX Spectrum game at all. So it's actually a bit more originality added on to it, some value add. So I'll just uh, play a little bit of that video here. And there's a, he actually used the graphic from his Hunt the Wumpus, his previous cartridge game to have your hit reset color test. Coco VGA. So I just Are you guys getting any audio on that? Off yep. I go. yep. That's it. It's nice and easy. So get yourself a Coco VGA. Is it loud enough? Have one, and then you just uh, hit any key to continue. A little bit louder, maybe. A bit louder, yeah. And uh, I'll pick hard here. And what it's going to do now is generate a maze for me. Now, if I, for, when I remember the ZX1 does not have the map, original you can switch on and off. I didn't really like so much. I love the concept of running around the maze. I love the concept of there's a monster out there that I'm trying to avoid. However, uh, I always just ran around. I think it, I did it have the direction markers? I can't remember. I haven't played the ZX one in so long. So I did a couple of, of things that just, are just a little bit different. So I put in the um, the compass direction at the bottom. So okay, so that is new. That's new. Some idea of, of which you will and see. Now here's what the overhead map overhead. where you can actually kind of see where you're going in the maps and maze as you go. You don't get to see the whole map at once. You only get to see what you've actually been through before. Walls and it's not going to work out so well. Oh, that'll happen. Yeah, okay. That, and there he just got eaten so while he was too busy looking at so his let map. Me, uh, retry that same maze here. Now, if I okay, that previous map, tank game. I'll see saved all of my information from the last run through the maze. So. The other purpose of the this is what you want the tank game to look like the death trap is carve out yeah yeah uh, to run through as much space as you can and and the little descriptions of the top like Rex lies and uh, wait and Rex has seen you is based on the fact that if the the dinosaur can see you down a hallway exposed and it'll actually like you know, track you down like crazy and if you kind of throw him off then you might. The wander around until he finds you. you, they give you kind of the relative and this was done in 640 by 32 graphics, and, uh, I think, well, originally. Um, and also, the Sinclair, no, the I think it was just on text mode. Or not. Now, the, the text uh, map, uh, well, yeah, but it ended up being 64 by 32 uh, or something and, ugly. And start chasing you again. Yeah. So it's not like or, I mean, for the Spectrum, it was one of the best looking games they ever had, but yeah. And then it was plain black and white, it was done all with text characters. And, um, and then the game is just kind of boring. And plus, it had that terrible keyboard so you tried to navigate with. The idea here with the map. I know is way too many things about Spectrum. You can eventually map out all the space if you're careful. Zex X81s. 
that, uh, you want to just call it a ZX? <laughs> be able to, Sorry. Anyway, that that game's now available too. So I'm actually, sure Neil's had two cartridge releases this week. Well, three if you include the two different versions of it. Um, like I said, I'm looking forward to the the translucent one. I want to see what that looks like. I don't know if that was a 3D printed thing or some other. So you don't lose your pro, your progress. Cool. I haven't seen. Is there translucent so plastics can, available? Three D printers. That same, that same level and keep your progress. For they call it clear. Have 3D printer experience. They call it clear. It ends up being translucent. Okay, but not transparent. I'm assuming it's just kind of a milky white. Yeah. Okay. See if it works. Anyway, that one's available for the same price as Bomb Threat. So anybody who wants to add to their Cocoa cartridge collection, you got two new ones this week. Pretty cool. Next up, uh, Cuthbert Dragon was uh, not terribly busy this week. Uh, they did a few ZX Spectrum games, actually. Um, and then they did one other Dragon 32, one that I'd not seen before called Monsters, which is kind of based on Color Panic or Space Panic from the arcade. But there is some differences in the gameplay. So I'll play a little bit here. You'll have to let me know if this is too loud because it's got a fairly decent amount of sound effects. So the difference here is that you're not just trying to kill the monsters, you're actually trying to get these gold bits at the bottom and then take them up to your door and escape with them from the maze. So that's something that's not in Color Panic. And of course, pretty, as you pretty fast, yeah. And of course, as you progress, you know, and it starts adding more monsters in, and they start getting smarter. And some, you know, at the beginning, they generally stay on their own levels. And in fact, when you drop them through a hole, they actually go back to their normal level and stay there for a bit. I've noticed on the later levels, though, they start wandering around vertically as well as horizontally, so that adds to the difficulty level. So that's one I hadn't seen before, and uh, we'll have to see if we can convert that over and maybe you know do some pallet hacks to it, etc. Just because those are so much fun. Uh, next up, um, Kieran has released a Coco updated version of the Dragon Gang row tabs, which we have shown before. And there is a Coco port, but I think it was a little bit buggy from what Bryza was saying. And the other thing about it is, is that the Coco version stripped all the intro story, the intro loading screen, and a bunch of the other things that were on the original Dragon version. And what Karen has done just this you know, last couple of days is he's actually remade a new Coco version you can download from here. This is a direct link to him, some of his stuff that he's, he's hacked in the past. And he's actually got the Coco version now with all that stuff restored back. So you get the loading screen, you get the full instructions and you know, explanation of the storyline of the game, et cetera. Um, so there's an updated version. Hopefully I'll put that on the archive as well, just because that seems to be where most people go. Um, so for those who have not seen the original version with all the extra add-ons, there you go. Go download it for free. And lastly, I will let Nick do a bit of a voiceover before I start this um, to announce his new game for the Coco 123 Dragon 64. And uh, take it away, Nick. All right, yeah. <laughs> Um, I Sorry, did I wake you up? Uh, yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, since uh, completing Gunstar and uh, thanks to uh, uh, the lockdown, I've been uh, busy and I've already finished my next game called Rally SG. And um, it's a game based on uh, the arcade game uh, Rally, uh, Rally X. 
where you drive a um, well in my case I've made it a little go-kart around a, a big track that uh, pans uh, around the screen and you basically just have to collect uh, or chase the uh, the te collect 10 flags on the map while avoiding the red cars that are out to get you so fairly simple game but this game I decided to um, actually since I've been doing Coco 3 games for years I thought I'd revisit the old Coco 1 and 2 I hadn't programmed a Coco 1 and 2 game since since Donut Dilemma back in 1986 so I thought I'll I'll give a, a crack and see how much I remember in programming the old the old Coco architecture. So this game will work on a Coco One, Coco Two, Coco Three, and a Dragon. So this one is for every color computer uh, with at least 64k of RAM. So you need a um, 64k of RAM to run it, and it uses the semi graphics uh, semi graphics uh, eight in order to get color uh, one of my big beefs about the coco one and two is that uh, it's not very colorful so i decided well the only way to get good color is to use a semi graphics mode which uh, gives you the full eight colors and the all important black background um, it's got other limitations but uh, I, I I sort of worked around all those and the game is Rally SG which uh, I think uh, Curtis has got a, a video there to play so that people can look at so you guys ready for the the world premiere that's right well yeah. push the button Frank hold your pants <laughs> yeah let me know uh, <laughs> if I have to bump the volume up or down because with YouTube it's kind of hard to tell okay the game there. Now on the right hand side is a, a radar display which uh, during my capture of the video didn't work correctly. One of the problems with semi-graphics is you can only have one color plus black per byte. So what I did over there on the right is to actually flicker one of the colors. So blue is the color in, in each white and I've got black which represents the red cars that are going to be chasing you um, and the flags, as you can see now, the, the yellow flag that had just appeared, the flags are a dark blue because I'm flickering between black and blue, which works fine on a normal monitor, but uh, yeah, on my capture card it doesn't work too good, so hence it looks a bit bad. But it looks good on a real screen. Now, every level of the game, you've got you've got to collect 10 flags, which are those yellow um, objects you see every now and then and avoid the red cars it just got hit hit me just then um, and so 10 flags one of those flags is a special flag and it'll be orange and if you get that that flag uh, it doubles the points that you collect per flag so every flag you get um, a point uh, it, well it starts on 5 and works its way up 10, 15, 20 so the, the, the scores increment as you go but if you get an orange flag 
those scores double. Obviously, a, a, a tactic uh, or a strategy in the game is to get the orange flag first if you can. Because the earlier you get the orange flag, the sooner you'll, you'll start collecting higher scores. Um, and yeah, every level is just, there's the orange flag. And you can see in the top right there, the uh, scores are indicated uh, in orange now to let you know that they're being doubled. Um, what else is there? So yeah, basically it's just that, uh, level after level of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, collecting flags. There are four big map mazes in the, uh, in the, in the game that, that it uh, goes through as you play. Uh, and the cars, the number of uh, red cars that chase you, initially it's two, two red cars, um, and then it goes to four red cars chasing you, up to six red cars, so like, I think it is now. Um, there you go, he's collected everything there. Now with six cars up there, it's, uh, yes, yeah, it starts getting a bit uh, tricky. And there's a challenge around as well, so uh, level 3 uh, and 6 and 9, I think, I've got challenge levels. In these levels, you don't get any red cars chasing you, but you have a timer on the right there, as you can see. And it's a, it's a matter of trying to get all 10 flags before the timer runs out. Um, and uh, if you can get all 10 flags, you get the end of level bonus, which tallies up how many flags you did get. And, points. So you can see on the right there, there's a little readout there. I've still got, in this case, I've got four more flags to find. They don't tell you where the flags are. You got they to don't find tell them. you where the flags are. You've got to find them. So that's the challenge, going around the maze, looking for the flags. Now, I think that in this next level, we're going to go to another maze. Yeah, so and the maze changes and, yeah, the uh, change. and the colors change, um, give a bit of variety. Now being a Coco 1 and 2, I haven't got the, um, the fancy sound effects that I had in, say, Gunstar, where I can have samples and um, all that. Um, you don't have the, the, the timer that was available in the Coco 3 to set up a, a good interrupt-driven sound routine. So I've tried to make a, um, a go-kart engine sound there, so which is that buzzing that you're hearing. And that's it, game over, and I think that's the end of the video. So that's Rally SG. Now the, the coding is finished, I've done it now, it's all finished, I'm just doing some final tests and tweaks I guess and um, um, they're going to start designing on some packaging and some instructions and, and all that so the game should be available maybe in before August uh, this year so maybe end of July around the end of uh, July or early August so that'll be coming out and that'll be available as um, as I've done in the past a digital download or a CD um, now the digital downloads, this is only a small game, so it's all, I'm trying to keep the costs down. It'll be just a $5 digital download, so you can get the, uh, the, the game emailed to you. Uh, the CD will include the same, of course, but uh, you get the 
the plastic case and the artwork and all that. And there's one other new idea that I'm actually thinking of throwing into the CD version, which uh, watch this space. So when it's ready, I'll I'll do up a web page that'll uh, explain it all. Um, but uh, I'm I'm basically just making trying to make this a a low cost game, um, and uh, that's awesome. about it. It's Looks a fun really game. Um, I, I've been playing it a fair bit. It can get hard because those red cars really really get uh, you know, hound you um, in, in some of the later levels but it's a quick game you just start the game again and try again it's just a fun game very much based on Rally X in the arcades not quite the same the, you know, I've, I've changed a few little things and the, and the lower res of the semi graphics doesn't quite allow you to do the game exactly like in the arcade of course but I've just done the best I can to showcase a uh, Coco 1 and 2 game and Dragon um, in uh, using the uh, semi-graphics uh, mode. A quick and question for anybody on the panel here who has a Dragon. Is the Dragon 32 easily upgradable to 64K? I know it came with 32K, but is it an easy upgrade, or does anybody know? Because obviously it'll work on a Dragon 64 just fine. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about the Dragon. Yeah, I don't know much about the Dragon. I assume it can be, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, hopefully somebody in chat who's actually more familiar with the Dragons can actually let us know here. Because if it's a fairly easy upgrade, it might be an excuse for somebody to get one. <laughs> well, that's right, yeah. And the program will also support a 6309. But, of course, you don't you don't gain to... I wrote the game with the intent that it's got to work on a 6809. But if you have a 6309, it turns, turns it on and makes use of the 10% speed increase. But you don't really see it. Everything's all frame-locked. So... No big advantage there. Just basically makes it run smoother like some of the other patches. Well, are, you don't even see that. It's it's all pretty well locked in. So anyway, it's in there. I stuck it in there at the start because I thought I might need the speed and well, I just left it in there. It makes no difference whether you've got a 6809 or 6309, so I just left it in there. Okay. So that's that, yeah. Um, any other questions? When uh, the game ends, I'm surprised you didn't put like a... You know, or something in there. A Pac-Man, <laughs> bloop, bloop. Yeah, something like, <laughs> like uh, you got, you know, or something. That's, that's in the future, creep. <laughs> yeah, it's only a little a quick. I mean, it's only taken me four months, this one, so hurrah for lockdown, eh? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, great job. Now, do you well, do you have an, and you don't have to give any details if you do have it, this, but do you have any other project planned for your next sequel or are you going to wait uh, for the money to rake in ideas. on this one first? I've got lots of ideas. <laughs> I just have to pick which one I'm going to do. So, n n no, nothing concrete at this point. Okay. And are you favoring Coco 3 for the next release or are you going to do another retro Coco 1 and 2 game? Or? Well, I, I do I do like the Coco 3, obviously, but uh, I might do one more Coco 1 and 2 game since... um. I got this one done fairly quickly, so may, maybe one more. It depends on what idea I pick. So It's a fun mode. It's a fun graphics mode. Well, it's the mode that got me into the Coco way back in the early 80s. Um, I never liked any of the P modes that, uh, the, you know, the black and whites or the black and greens or the, even the four color modes never really excited me at all. It was very, in my opinion, colorless. But the semi-graphics mode 
it did provide eight colors on a black background and I thought aha there there is hope for this machine <laughs> so <laughs> when I got the Coco uh, my Coco 2 way back in 84 the first game I did was a, a game called Neutroid 2 which wasn't that popular but it was a semi graphics mode game so it was eight colors and it, it had a lot of sound effects and all that so it was the semi graphics mode that interested me uh, being yeah, we've, we've seen some games that really do semi graphics. Actually, the Dragon had more semi graphics games, I think, than yeah. Coco did, because uh, that was a really popular. Because of course, they didn't have artifacting colors that everybody used in North America. So Australia and, and neither the UK did we all here went in for Australia, this. Yeah. So there's there's hmm. quite a few we've actually shown on on the game game on uh, news segments before of some of the semi graphics games, plus a few that were released in North America too, like Protectors Two, Guardian. I think are probably the two you know most noteworthy. It's a good mode. mode. It has limitations. It's got a, a very low horizontal resolution. It's got the color limitations where you can't have more than one color plus black per byte. Uh, so there are some problems, and it does limit the, the the type of games that you can have on it. You know, smooth scrolling is a lot harder to do in semi graphics because of that. But uh, well, you design a you pick your games, you design it to to work within those limitations and uh, and that's what I've done with Rally SG and, and um, it looks fairly colourful with the, all the scrolling and everything uh, that and the one, the one no nice specky. thing too go ahead I was just saying it ain't no specky <laughs> no 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 it's not <laughs> the one nice thing is too is that back when the Coco 3 first came out one of the disappointments for a lot of people was that the semi-graphics modes except for the very low res 64 by 32 were dropped and then I think it was Sockmaster somebody else discovered that if you fiddle with a couple gimme registers you can fake it to get the graphics back but the text mode you still lose so yeah. the games you've been designing lately you've been making sure scores and whatever else are all done in it well with that's the right registers. semi-graphics on the Coco 1 and 2 allows you to combine essentially the uh the SG4 text mode. So you can actually display the text characters, the normal 32 by 16 text characters, as well as the graphics. On the Coco 3, you can't. The Coco 3 only shows you the graphics part. So yeah, when I do when I did um, Rally SG, I just said, well, that's easy fix. Just make all the all the text graphics as well. And that's why on the game, um, you saw that the uh, uh, the score numbering was only a four digit long character because I was <laughs> being the, that low res semi graphics graph um, w pixels which are fairly wide you can't quite cram as many characters it's essentially every text character was two bytes wide to get the the, uh, the, the size of the, the character or the numbers on the score and that reduced it to uh, a four digit score so the scores in Rally SG are pretty low just so you don't so you don't go over the 9999 so what, what happens does it wrap over like death trap does it, it actually it does it does actually keep the the score internally it it's got another two digits as well so it doesn't crash it it keeps going but Mr. it only ever shows sorry Mr. Ever, like holding my beer <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it only shows the the bottom four but the game's actually pretty challenging, and I can't get... I haven't been able to get up to 9,999. So, uh, um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it, it won't <laughs> crash. 
it won't crash. It'll effectively look like it just rolls over again, even though it is actually internally keeping the, uh, um, uh, what is it, six-digit uh, score. <laughs> you could change colors, so your blue score. Your I did. That was an idea. Score. I did think of that. Just change the color so you know that it's it's clocked over. But because I never, I, I don't seem to ever be able to get to that point, that score, and I've played it a lot, um, I thought, nah, why not? Make it funny if it rolls over. <laughs> and one thing I'll mention on the semi-graphics modes uh, themselves here, I mean, the the higher semi-graphics modes actually let you mix the text characters. Like, you don't have to print the entire text character. Protectors 2 is probably the best example of They drew the little waving humans on the buildings. Um, now, that's something, of course, that does not work in the Coco 3. Yeah, yeah. Yet, but the Gimme X actually is going yeah. to fix that so that <laughs> when you just... get a Gimme X, you can play all the old semi-graphics games properly. So yeah, that, yeah, that'll be a change. <laughs> Nick, do you have any idea that would you support doing that if the Gimme X becomes really popular? Because then you'd have the entire Coco 1, 2 market, the Dragon market, and then the Coco 3 well, market. With not really, because um, it has to work on every Coco. Well, that was the that was the the goal with Rally SG. I said, oh, I'll do a game that works on every Coco. And that means going down to the lowest common denominator which in this case is the Coco 3. If the Coco 3 can't do text, then there's no point putting the text into the game if Coco's 1, uh, well, if it only works on a Coco 1, 2, Kimmy X and Dragon, and the Coco 3 then misses out. So I figure, well, you know, just do it in graphics. Okay, I, I was just asking because I didn't know if there was a, like a certain threshold where if they sold this many Gimme Xs, you'd say, oh, maybe the market's big enough to warrant it. Well, that's a different story, yeah, if there's that many. But um, I, I don't want to shortchange the people who have a real Coco 3 and they say, oh, damn, now, now this game doesn't work on a Coco 3. So okay. I wanted every Coco. So support the lowest common denominator. It works on everything. One, two, three, Dragon and Jimmy X. So there you go. It's an okay. even bigger market. <laughs> so uh, Nick Marotta, I was going to suggest, since you were asking for suggestions for Game On, challenges here. How about for August or September, maybe? We'll have to, you know, give, especially shipping from Australia, if anybody wants to, any, if there's a physical media version of it available. Well, that'll um, be shipped from America. Oh, will it? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, America to Canada right now is a bit of a slow delay, too. So. Oh, okay. How <laughs> much should I charge Nick for that? What do you think is a fair rate to, uh, <laughs> to promote his game? <laughs> But I think we should make this a game on challenge like absolutely. a month or two after the release. Oh. To, uh... Absolutely. Well, is there going to be a digital download? You said it's going to be a digital yes. download. Yeah, so yeah. there won't be an issue. So yeah. you, well, you yeah, Nick, too, right. even if you buy the disc, he sends you the digital right away. Yeah, that's right. So no, even I, if you buy I, I disc, like that model. Still... The moment you oh. buy it, within 24 hours, you've got the game. Okay, so maybe in, say, like mid-August or something, we'll make that the... I mean, I wouldn't say no to a jar of Vegemite, Nick. I mean, you know, if... <laughs> I, sh I certainly would. I would not accept that. <laughs> that, that, that that's punishment. Most, that's not most reward. Most people would. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, well, that, that'll definitely be uh, absolutely. I have no use for Vegemite, so... I mean, one of the things, too, is I like to promote the fact that there's new software being written and uh, to encourage... Because you know, this market's we're doing really well right now as a as a retro market. You know, we've got new games coming out and new hardware being developed, and it's like the more we can expose that, the better. Well, to, with today's rising entertainment costs, it's a real bargain. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Robert Murphy's contesting your claim there, Nick. He's saying uh, the MC10 wasn't included. You're getting so, a little. So next thing up, we had um, acquisitions. 
and other things. Ah, so uh, let's see. And updates. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Let's see. Hey, uh, I have some. I was hoping David Ladd was going to pop on for one of them, but uh, if he doesn't, I can still do it. Okay. I'll, I'll wait a bit. Somebody wants to else goes wants to go first. I'll see if he maybe can pop on. Okay. Uh, let's I'll see. Go, I'll get one. I'll get one here. All right, David, go ahead. Is uh, we've been talking about um, getting games from America to Australia and the delays due to the uh, due to this COVID stuff going on. Um, I experienced delays firsthand. Um, I've got a USB uh, device here that I can use to reprogram my Coco VGA uh, boards. I've got two of them in my, both of my Coco ones, um, but I didn't have the uh, the right connector um, on the end of my adapter. If you can see that there, there's the there's the little adapter there. I don't know if you can maximise that screen there. Oh, um, sorry. Yes, let me get there. It, it's upside down, but I guess it, it looks it's good from to you. Australia. <laughs> just, just address the Australian compensator. Yeah. There we go. That's the, the USB blaster there. That's for reprogramming the. Uh, am I? I'm in reverse there. Am I? Oh. Only to you. It, it looks good here. Everything's <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Oh, that's good. All right. Yeah, cool. Don't, don't be confused. Yeah, so this little board on the end here, this blue board with this cable on there, that little tiny connector on the end, I'll just put it in front of my forehead so you can see it. That connector is what actually connects to, it, 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 it's a, um, uh, what do they call it, a J, uh, J-tag? J-tag, J-tag, that's it. Um, and that connects, that actually connects to the Coco VGA board. Um, you sure it doesn't plug on the bottom of a Coco 3? <laughs> no, that no, connector's larger. Yeah, but that's that's more like that cable. That's the cable that came with the USB blaster, um, but it didn't fit into the Coco VGA. So uh, Brendan Donaghy sent me um, the this little adapter. And how long yeah. did it take to get there? It, it it was sent on the 24th of April, and it just arrived a couple of days ago. Wow! So it's nearly it's, so that's about two months. It was stuck in Chicago for about for about five or six weeks or something. Sure, they just uh, put it thought, on a raft and push it out to sea. Yeah, well, I, I was sort of thinking, well, with all the riots going on and everything, I was thinking, well, maybe uh, maybe something happened to the post in Chicago. But uh, fortunately, it arrived, so I'll be able to get in and, and reprogram my Coco VGA and put the latest firmware and try some of the new uh, uh, tricks and bits and pieces. So that's the whole thing there. That's USB goes into the computer. That's the USB blaster. And then cool. that connects up to the Coco VGA. And, nice. Uh, it's going to be my project for this week is to reprogram my Coco VGAs. So I did have another update too, but I'm going to save that until uh, till another time. It uh, involves Rick Adams. So uh, I'll wait till he's on the show with us and we can share that together. Right. Always leave them wanting more. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> I'm whining less, one of the two. All right. Uh, uh... I have a quick acquisition, if you want to see it. Sure, go ahead, David. Sure. Oh, there we are. Go like, who said that? David Veery. All right, David. so I ordered a um, from our buddy on Discord, friend of the show, Dave Phillipson. I picked up his Coco Dev board. So I'll try and show it. Look on my screen. Here it is here. So it's a Coco 3 based FPGA. We have a real time clock 
We got a Wi-Fi module. (laughs) Yeah, really. Uh, SD card, real-time clock. Here's the FPGA, VGA out, and Wi-Fi module. And for people like me, we have a prototyping area with access to the IOs of the board. That's really cool. Does it have a port for the smoke to come out? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Too soon. (laughs) <laughs> Multiple another, ports. Yeah, another, so, is it wired for 220 volts? <laughs> so it's really fast. It's got uh it's running at 25 megahertz. Oh well. It's doing pretty much everything a Coco 3 is doing faster except for video and sound. But that's okay cuz I'm going to put in the uh the Yamaha chip. I can show you how fast it is. It's got lots of drives, of course. Is this under $1,000? Oh, yeah, it wasn't uh, very expensive at all. Uh, Okay. You know, uh, a Coco 3 just went for $510 on eBay here somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Wish I had more of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Don't we all? Okay. Oops. Is he? What is this? No. Upload. It kind of looks Sorry, like. I that. just got this board the other day. Okay, uh, six. It looks like an IBM font. Yeah, you can do whatever you want on this. So here's a quick program. I'm just looking at some ROM addresses. So we just ran through like. Well, half a million ROM addresses. And I'll do the same thing on the Coco 3 for a speed comparison. Oh, well, far out. And does this it, is does it run 25 megahertz like, like, like the Coco 3 FPGA does? Yeah. Yeah, so it's running about so, 12 times, 12 and a half times faster, roughly, than the Coco 3 does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's really fast. So there's lots of. Um, Lots of color palette options, all kinds of stuff you can do with this. And it doesn't need a fan. <laughs> it doesn't need a fan. That is so much faster, wow. And if I want, it's already got Nitrous O9 loaded up. I just have to... Where's the fluorescent green screen? Well, voilà. So here we have our nitrous. And you got your real time and you got your real time clock for nitrous and iron too. Yep. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um anxious to uh really get experimenting with it. So is now, that if, I, if I remember David talking about it, this is a little bit different than the Coco three FPGA and actually something Ron just brought up. Like like the Coco three FPGA actually simulates the Coco three right down to the VDG modes and all that. This does not though. This is more like a Coco three core but using like a VGA card or the equivalent of, correct? Like, there, is there a 32, yeah. you know, green screen, 32 column green screen mode? Uh, that's a good. Uh, I don't think there is. If I remember from what Dave was saying, this is nah. more like a, a hybrid of the two. But so I can get all the. So you're just pretending. <laughs> There's lots of options on it. Um, really. 
I've just been talking with Dave about it, and uh, he said really the only difference we don't have is we don't have a sound, sound covet or video, except for text video. So there's no graphics per se. But there's so plenty of room it, on the card to put one. It doesn't emulate the gimme chip. No, so it's yeah okay. It's more like a six eight oh nine emulator with the Coco three yeah. ROMs, I think, and then you know, I don't know if he's planning on taking it further. I mean, the Coco three FPGA kind of went through that too, if I remember. You know, got gradually got more and more compatible, but uh, at this point, it, this is early on in the development of this. this is more like a development system for doing six eight oh nine based stuff, really fast. <laughs> anyway, it's pretty nice. I'm happy with it and. Looking forward to being able to uh, do lots of experiments. Oh, It'll like definitely be a fun place to do uh, assembly programming. Those color fonts look cool. Yeah. And he's also got a wget program that you can just download instantly uh, files over the internet right into your board through this little module up here. Is that like a USB or is that a wireless or what is that? It's a wireless, um, it must be one of the ESP modules. All right, sounds cool. Would you be able to do Telnet and ANSI? Yeah. He has some demos on uh, YouTube. Uh, if you look under Dave Phillips, and you can see some of the demos that he. Uh, this is actually I'm one of the beta testers of the board, so uh, oh. I'm pretty lucky that he let me have one. Cool. And Dave's really good with answering questions too, and he's on Discord very actively on both the Coco side and the Coco Dev side, so he's he's available for any questions anybody has. Yeah, and and if I don't break it, then we know it, it's a good machine. <laughs> you don't feed two twenty volts into it, you probably won't. Break just remember it. to leave all the smoke in it this time. Sorry, too soon. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, pretty cool. Hey, uh, Patrick, didn't you have uh, something you wanted to share? Am I Patrick? Yeah, Rick. <laughs> Rick. Okay. Your name's so okay, Patrick. I'll work. Are you um, in the protection yeah. program? And yeah. Well, so I've, I've had so many names over the year, I can't remember them all anymore. So I just have to go with whatever people call me. And um, I'm just following what's on the bottom corner of the screen. Here. Yeah. If you want to be called something different, put something different in Zoom, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I used to be Rick, and then I became Rick you because there were too many Ricks, and now I've come back, and there are still too many Ricks. So I don't well, know. Well, there is. There Patrick. There is Rick and Patrick. <laughs> oh well in any case um let's see can i share a screen or do i need special permission no you can share a screen um, i can share a screen i'm going to try sharing a screen and then i'm going to try forcing myself into the screen i really want to share which is not represented here let's see if i can do that so i'll go down control shift do stuff uh, do we see a workshop? Yes, yes. Yep, I do. Okay, so this is my hobby shop, and it's been kind of dormant for a couple of years because I was a systems administrator for 20 years, and I really didn't have much 
mental capacity for spending on anything other than my day job. But that's been gone for a year now, so I was looking around for things that I might do, and I came up with this hobnob, which is a joystick port switcher using quad bilateral switches, which cost a grand total of 42 cents a piece in quantity one. So thinking that's a good you, thing that I might want to build. Huh. What are you using? What are you using four o double sixes or? Yeah, 40, what or is four o five ones. Uh, let's see, what am, what am I using? Um, well, here it is plugged in. I was running Rampage and switching back and forth between two different players to prove that I could switch while the thing was hot without crashing it and so forth. And I actually used, uh, if I could only control myself, 4066 quad, quad bilateral switches. Yep. Two of those will work just fine off of the joystick ports. I'm not sure that six of them plus an LM3900 would. So I'm anticipating having some kind of little feed through. This was every feature I could think of for this board, which only swaps the left and right ports. So you can have a mouse and a joystick and flip your joystick live without having to reboot your computer because it will switch live and not blow up. Hmm. Then I said, what else can I do with that? And I've added a mouse port. So you have mouse and stick A and then stick B. You can switch mouse or stick A and then you can swap stick A and stick B. And then of course there's the high res adapter at the bottom for, you know, high res things. Oh, um, good. So I then drew it. In? Oh, of course. Switchable. So that's cool. That's really so how many cool. inputs do you have then? Three on the Three. big one, two on the little one. So what if, if you see, just, you so you got uh, you got six four o double sixes there, right? The looks of it, yeah, yeah. That's what it that's what it takes to do everything. I could depopulate that and just have stick A, stick B, right in, right out, and swap them. You know, so oh, cool. th there's a there's a lot. And one of the questions I want to ask is, what do I really need to put into this thing? Um, I drew it as a uh, through hole, and it's quite monstrous. Here's kind of the looks of it. And if I put it on the back of a cocoa, it would be that big by about three quarters of an inch out. So that's kind of big. So then I drew it as surface mount and it got way smaller. So here's the surface mount version of that same circuit with the AB joysticks and high res, low res swap. And that would take up this much on the back of the cocoa. So I think that's pretty slick looking. And uh, cool. um, let's see, oh, that's, that's just so the old this, thing. This board lets me plug in my two joysticks and a mouse all at once. Correct. And then I can switch and select which joysticks and if I want the mouse and even make the mouse the high-res interface mouse. And that's the right. question I want to ask. Should the high-res always be on the right side of the Coco input or should the high-res be switchable? Please don't say that. Because <laughs> up all the space I got here. I'm pretty much, this is about as much as I can cram into that much space. I will so say I, that MultiView will let you switch it through software. So to cover every possibility, you probably should. But I think most people pretty well standardized on on the right. Don't mind you. I mean, it's easy enough for those people. For those people, they can just go in and just edit the environment file and just change it to the port you pick and then the choice is made for them. 
Well, that, that's interesting. We could cram a couple more of these 42 cent quad bilateral switches in there and uh, replace some of the toggle switches with switches. But then I have to do an address decoder and how big do we want this thing to be? So Rick, <laughs> could I plug in a six pin DIN deluxe joystick, a six pin DIN uh, Paragon to use a, a digital controller and a mouse? I'm not sure what digital <laughs> controller means in this case. These are analog switches that I'm using okay. to switch things. So you probably can do anything you can do, like Wicos and all of that stuff. Well, the, there's a there's an adapter that lets you plug in a, a Sega controller into a six-pin DIN. So basically, do you have two six-pin DIN inputs plus a mouse? Of, of yes, and they're all analog. Either, okay, the switches cool. are all analog, so we nice. should be good with that. Um, yep. So yeah, this is everything I could think of to do to a mouse adapter. And if anyone has any other ideas they would like to throw in before I actually throw money at prototypes and stuff, I'd like to do so. Um, Are you going to have an American it, name for this? It's the mouse tamer. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that sounds all right. <laughs> and you know, maybe the mouse tamer is this one that just switches two ports, and the mouse tamer three will be the one that has three inputs. I don't know something, you know. It's... But don't you need to also connect to the cassette um, jack for the high-res interface? Yeah, there is There is a little... The high-res or serial? It, there is a little cast out here to, to do oh, high-res. Okay, you can yeah. ignore that, you know, but... Um, so I'm trying to do everything in one product. So I have the left and right switch with no high-res, and then I have high-res, and then we have the three-input high-res, and... Maybe for cost reasons, I might make a smaller board or depopulate part of the main board. You know, I could leave out the mouse and a couple of switch chips. And All right, I got a question. I plugged this thing in, and I've already got my uh, two megabyte this. I got a gimme. I got this, that, and that. You know, uh, is this going to, like, dim the lights when I turn it on then? <laughs> <laughs> I've determined by... Uh, prototype that four of the the four of these uh, quad bilateral switches will work just off of the out the limited output of the joystick however six plus a high-res adapter we might be getting it into the point where you have to put a little thing on pin nine to suck a little nine volts but it's not going to be high these are all very low current CMOS so I'm I'm really trying to fit into what is I there know any is power available. you can pull off the cassette port too that might help? No, no, no. You, nope. you're, you're pretty much limited. If you can't use the joystick source without getting full range on the joysticks, then you've got to feed a wire in and clip it well, into five volts somewhere. Well, what's wrong with a small um, solar panel? <laughs> well, I think the main reason is that most most of us computer nerds stay indoors. You never see sun. Yeah, right, there is yeah. no sun. Right. Yeah, yeah. Most of those uranium on there. Most of those little cal calculators used a uh, uh, a little ambient light. Um, you know. Yeah, see, so that they used the LCD panels. So. <laughs> Right, and they Six needed foot. about point zero 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 one microamps to run. Because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you run them off a potato for about two years. <laughs> you know, so I've even done cheats on this one. For instance, the dropping resistors are hard locked to ground, 
once you switch. That saves a tiny little bit of current. I'm not sure why, but it does. So, you know, I've tried to. So is this going to attach to the back of a Coco itself? Yeah. Yeah, it sticks out about three quarters of an inch. The surface mount version would take up about that much room. So it's 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 kind of a bump on the back of your Coco. Okay, that's okay. And bad. one question would be, should we reorient the joystick plug some way so that this three quarters of an inch doesn't force your cocoa further out away from the monitor and things that might be behind it. So I just kind of wanted to bring this up before I really built a whole lot of them to find out what might be useful for people. You know, this this is my first thought. I have I have a res switch, I have mouse or joystick, and then I have swap left and right. Could you is make it so that you could you make it so that the uh, the actual unit itself was in a separate box and you just run cables into the joystick ports then people can put it wherever they want? Yeah, right now, just... you're going to have to reach all the way around all that stuff to find the power switch. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The power switch is a feed-through, but it may be up top, so it feeds through to here. So you have resolution, mouse joystick, swap, power. Just because yeah, I've got I, a, I, a case I, anyway, so... I personally kind of like the idea of having it separate from the Coco case. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, well, that's that's certainly doable. I mean, I, I drew this to be one board with no handwork, but it could certainly you, be a couple of, you know, ribbons feeding out to plugs, so it doesn't have to fit on the Coco. Yeah, because one of the annoying parts of the Coco itself right now is that you have to reach behind and fumble, you know, on your desk to even find the joystick port to plug something in, or in this case, to hit the power button and not, you know, not try to jostle everything else. You got like a switch. Well, that, that's what I was thinking. On top, it would be resolution, mouse joystick, swap ports, power, which is physical. It's just a piece of plastic that feeds up through the case. So I was thinking the three sticks up here, three inputs here. This plugs into the cocoa. However, I'm certainly willing to think about moving that around if people think if, something. If you're plugging would... the joysticks into that, you, you the, sometimes the joysticks joysticks can be fairly tight, so you do put a bit of pressure in pulling a joystick out. So I'm wondering if you mount the board on the back, are you straining that board and pulling it away from the from the well, however it's attached to the back of the cocoa? That's a fair bit of stress sometimes to to pull it out. Whereas if it's a separate box, you know, you you've got a box you can hold and plug things into without yeah. damage without damaging the cocoa. Yeah, I thought it was a yeah. box to plug in. Because I mean, some yeah, people will switch what joystick. Like some people will plug in just two deluxe joysticks and they'll leave it at that with the mouse. But others might want to switch to a free float if they're playing Polaris versus you might want a pistol grip for this game and you might want your trackball for this game type thing. So you still want to access the ports and if it's Kind of riding on the back there, yeah, it might. might right, and I've kind, of, I've kind of tried to address that with the swap switch, so you could have two different joysticks, and unless you have two different people who play a lot, you can just swap the them. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing I like about the idea of having it in a separate box too, not mounted on the actual Coco itself, then you're not limited to size restrictions, and you could go back to through hole and, and make them available as kits. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd love to yeah. build one up. Oh yeah, no, I, I would I would definitely sell this. It fits. I mean, uh, where's that picture? Also in the uh, on the back of the cocoa. It's not bad. It doesn't. I mean, other than having to feed the power plug through, but I'm thinking so, that'll be part of the case. 
Oh, also, in the chat, uh, Retro Innovations mentions that the spa uh, port spacing is different between the 1, 2s, and 3s. Yeah, 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 good point. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a standalone will be an option. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly be more attractive to me as standalone they plug into the existing ports. Yeah, no, I get the standalone. You can plug a ribbon cable into anything where, you know, this would fit if you wanted to plug it in directly. But I could also stick a ribbon cables in there for very little work and make a little box. And since uh, so there's, there's power to spare, uh, can we have a little bit of an LED light show? Like, you know. Maybe... <laughs> oh, here we go. RGB joystick <laughs> connector. <laughs> Woo All right. No, I'll no, be Ron, the guy. We have to add a real no time, time clock, clock instead. Yeah. <laughs> I got no bus connector. I couldn't figure out how to get the clock in. And a sound chip. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're going to have 16 4066s on there. <laughs> and 16 so, slots to plug cartridges in. So this is pretty much the most over-engineered joystick adapter I could think of. Oh, up, yeah. David Ladd <laughs> My beer is all we but have you, to say to that. And it's but getting worse by the minute. More things. Yeah, I'm going to put a couple more chips over here to, to replace these toggle switches. So we can put them on the bus. Chips. They don't have to do anything. They just look bigger. <laughs> An LCD uh, status uh, at the top. Oh, yeah, and the RGB status and lights and things. It's yeah. not done till it does dim the lights. Yeah. <laughs> not even that. So, so here we are so far. This all works, and the net lists all match, although I haven't finished putting the ground planes in and stuff. But uh, I guess I will put some of these changes in there and see how it goes and if you think of anything else let me know and I'll, I'll certainly be happy to add or re remove from this has it got a real time clock <laughs> yeah well then I have to put in a bus connector that's distinctly a maybe right just well, duct tape a wristwatch to it will this fit at the bottom of my SDC <laughs> That's no, a cool okay. project, though. I like it. So anyway, yeah, no, that, that's my number handy. one. So just uh, go back to your workshop there. You've, you've got some nice little you've got a frequency counter and a signal generator and a scope and a meter. And yeah, it's nice. Nice setup. Two, two scopes because the digital scope is actually just kind of a fancy VOM recorder thing. In my opinion, digital scopes aren't really good for analog yeah. stuff. I do a lot of radio work. In fact, Here's a couple yeah, of radios up. up here in sight. And uh, for those, I need this signal generator because it can very well put 1,000 kilohertz on any frequency you want, Yep. radio frequency you want for alignment, and this analog scope because it can display that. But then when I'm working on COCOs, this signal generator works just fine, and this, or, uh, this signal generator works just fine, and this scope works just fine for digital stuff. So I've really got to make more room on my desk because I had to throw some stuff out of the way to put the analog scope up to do a couple of radio projects. And now I've got to get it out of the way so I can put the cocoa stuff back on. So yeah, I, I need a bigger table. What's the gray thing can, on the right? I can totally, <laughs> that's an that analog scope, isn't it? You're talking about there? Yeah, that's, a, guess guess the brand. What guess would you guess if you looked at it? Tektronics. Oh, hang on. It's actually branded LG. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's Textronics. It just doesn't have the right name on the front. I found that yeah. a Goodwill for $6. Oh, far out. Wow. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. 
yeah. That's why yeah. it's taken up the corner of my shelf. That's like my, course, my shop. I actually need some more space on mine too. I've got a couple of 7603s tech scopes. I've got one with a 7D20 digital storage and uh, and the other one's got um, four channels of, a, of 200 megahertz analog. So I'm totally with you on the analog versus digital. There's, there's a time and a place for both of them. I have a D546 with a hang down and a dual connector verbase thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to sound important. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's powered by a 265 Hemi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of horsepower there. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's the stream. Where did it go? I can't uh, unshare my screen because I can't find my stream. Yeah, there, I think I can. Uh, Bottom right. Just there we go. I no, got you. No, it's not. Yeah, there's Zoom. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell you what, Coco Man, you had some new stuff, right? I do. I do have some. Uh, a uh, update and uh, acquisition. Oh, let's see here. Good job, Rick. <laughs> Thank you. Is that your yeah. name? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Levine Euland. <laughs> okay. Oh, there you have it. Uh, I did. I I, uh, I stopped by uh, the uh, a uh, consignment store and found some vintage goodies. Not exactly cocoa related, but some cool stuff. Uh, but uh, before I do that, um, let me do a let me do a screen share here. That's the right screen. Bring that up. We have uh, there. We go. Added a. Uh, there's still some improvement on the way, but it is up and running. There's no more PayPal buttons at CocoMan.biz. We are now. Uh, we are now using a uh, a shopping cart, so now oh, it's easy. Fancy. Yeah, so now it's easy just to add your uh, your items right to there. I mean, yeah, we're updating some of the pictures, uh, getting rid of the uh, wood grain, going with a white background, and um, and you'll be able to uh, with all the Australian named <laughs> items. Um, and go through uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, new new items on there is the uh, the crikey. The crikey cable. It's the uh, driveware cable. It comes in, uh, and you can even select what uh, what length you'd like to get, either six feet or ten feet or two meters or three meters. You pick your uh, measurement standard. And uh, let's see. so I can have a cable that goes from your house. <laughs> I don't know if it would. I don't think it would reach from here to Arizona. I think uh, it uh, <laughs> might have. Might have some issues, but um, I have to put a splice at my house, right? Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to, and the we'll have to put in a stretch kit. Yeah, the uh, we got a few speed power. issues. A few speed issues too over that distance, right. maybe. Yeah, and uh, there goes the cat. Okay, and the other thing this this was mentioned during the virtual Coco Fest. The Didgeridoo audio digitizer cable is now available for purchase. It's uh, it was several different programs that used the uh, audio digitizer to the uh, joystick port, and uh, there's a couple there that's listed that it works with so far. There's a couple other, I, a couple other ones I have to test, but uh, nice little, uh, nice little item there that I have that's new, and um, and I also have uh, these nice, uh, these nice categories. If you're looking for things with switches in them, they're right there. You know, we have the uh, 
the Joey series, the controller switch box, and of course the uh, the serial switch and all that uh, other things there. Uh, are, you gonna, are you going to sell for Patrick? I sell my I sell my own items. I don't sell oh. other people's items oh. at this time. Okay. But uh, now I have a joystick switch now available and has been available. But uh, new, I'm going to make some other uh, improvements to the site. I'll go ahead and stop sharing. That's all I needed right there right now. Other improvements looking, to the site coming later. That's looking uh, good so far. Nice right, upgrade. Like it. uh, it'll be a nice, uh, it'll be a nice uh, upgrade once I get everything uh, cleaned up. It works. There's no more PayPal buttons because that was a royal pain in the butt, uh, the way that was set up. So um, let's see. So if we ordered everything that you have, we'd have a list of uh, Australian terms. <laughs> you would. You really would. You, you, would you would have a lot of those terms, but um, the entire uh, Australian dictionary. Yeah, uh, just about. You know, minus koala. I, I, you know, I had a suggestion. Use koala. I said, well, there's a koala pad. They made that way back when. I can't use that name. But um, and then, but went to the consignment store, picked up some things. I picked up. Uh, I'm, I'm again. I, I'm disappointed that Dave is not on the show because I, I picked up a ten pack of, uh, of uh, three and a half floppy. Uh, Discettes, um, nice. colors, <laughs> and colors. You have multiple colors there, so that's uh, that's fun. Yeah, they're high density. Yeah, they're, they're high, really yeah, they're high density. But I thought, yeah, they're four bucks. He's got an MM one. Uh, use it. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty, really, that'll really get the grace weasel going. Oh <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then just some other <laughs> miscellaneous things. I bought like a two pole. Um, is this the RF switch? Heavy duty Radio Shack branded for like a couple bucks. So. It's like that'll I think for two dollars that'll come in handy. It's not Archer. <laughs> you know, it actually says Radio Shack on it. But wow. Speaking of Archer, since you brought it up, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, I have <laughs> this this joystick, this Atari uh, compatible type joystick, and it may be hard to see, but it actually is Archer branded. Ooh. But then it says custom manufactured for Radio Shack on the bottom. I mean, this does look like some some of the other. Uh, sticks they made at the time, but it is for the Atari. But you could use one of the uh, adapters to go to the Coco, play with that. But again, it was like five bucks. I said, why not? I said, for five dollars, why not? You know, I'm already here. Um, I also picked up another Atari style joystick. This is a uh, this is a, uh, a a Wyco Command Control. So, and it's also oh, the cool. uh, the nine pin connector. Again, five bucks. I'm like, I, oh, that's bargain. Yeah, it yeah, is a bargain. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this place. I don't get there very often. It's a couple hours away, but uh, it uh, has a gate lock. I'm not sure that switches what... between the top and the bottom button. Okay, okay. I, I haven't had a chance to check this stuff out. Like I said, you saw I was on the road earlier, so I just arrived home during the uh, Nick Marinti's segment. Uh, I still have a brand new Zebra adapter to put those adapt those Atari sticks into your Coco. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, if you want it, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I actually have uh, somewhere around here. I have the, uh, I have the uh, the boys in tech uh, Paragon adapters for that purpose. That's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, the uh, and this you can get this is from boys in tech. You have the uh, nine pin connector for your Atari uh, style joystick, and then the six pin to your Coco. Uh, there's a similar device also offered by Neil Blanchard. It was uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, does um, does a similar uh, function uh, also uh, I uh, this this isn't this is for the NES but it's another uh, oh, another Wyco what is this Wyco command control and it's got the 
the start and select button, the two side buttons, and it is uh, the uh, you know NES connector. But again, five bucks. I could I couldn't pass it up for five bucks. Um, you have the same sickness we all have. I yeah. know it was only five dollars. <laughs> well, like, well, yeah, of course. Well, why, why would you pass it up? Why? There were fifty I, I, of them, but yeah, it wasn't fifty. <laughs> I, of all, they had three joysticks there. I bought the you know that was on that particular shelf. I bought them all. I'm sure I'll need this one day. Yeah. Uh, well, and then uh, and then in the uh, well, that was on the shelf. Then I had to go over to the case. You know, the stuff that's in the case. But I I picked up and. I don't know much about this, but I picked up a Tandy Pocket Computer PC3. Ooh, oh, nice. I'm not sure oh, cool. what I'm going to do with this. It doesn't it doesn't power on yet. It pro I'm guessing it probably needs a battery. Can yeah, you work in a report flat for... watch like batteries, if I remember. Uh, I, that's Sharp. what I'm guessing. Can you work yeah. in a report was for only... JT? Yeah, on JT. It was a... And it was only five bucks. <laughs> I think it was it was a little bit more. I think it might have been it was somewhere between five and ten dollars. I'm not I don't oh, remember exactly and the, the price no. tag yeah, well, fell off. It, I couldn't. It has it, these little plastic doodads too in there. I'm not I'm not sure what these are for, but I'm, it looks like it would be a type of overlay, but there's nothing else. Yeah. I'm not sure they what can that's write on the back of those. It does fit over the... part of the keyboard, but the, they seem to be uh, identical little plastic doodads, so I'm maybe they labeled you know, them. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe you could label them, but it was a, uh, those were nice. They, they were nicely in the little case here, but of course they don't Let me go back in. There. there we go. Close enough. Um, and uh, another item in the case uh, here. And okay, now I did I did pay more than five dollars for this, but this is a super advantage. Ooh. Cool. It was twenty dollars, and uh, it's for wow. the Super Nintendo. But I, I'm like I the last. It's been a while since I've been at this store, but. Um, you know, they had a regular advantage there, and I didn't buy. Of course, it wasn't there the next time I came back. So. Was that a Nintendo product? Uh, this looks like this is from. It looks like ASCIIWare. Okay. Uh, Super Advantage. So it, it's up. Does it have LEDs on it? Um, no, but it's got lots of switches, lots yeah. of and lots turbo of, and it's, stuff. It's probably and licensed I, by Nintendo. It's the font and stuff. I don't yeah. know. And a real this is ASCII Inter Entertainment Software Inc. There's nothing with the word Nintendo on this thing, so it looks like a third party to me. But still, it's pretty, cool. it's pretty darn cool. And yeah. uh, last, but definitely not least, again, not Coco, uh, but um, and I'd never seen one of these things in the wild, or if I had, it had been for an exorbitant price. But I picked up a um, for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I picked up a Starpath Supercharger. Oh wow. Those are rare. Mm, for $25. Yeah. What does, what does do? it do? Uh, what this does is there are games. It plugs it, it plugs into the cartridge port on your Atari 2600. And then there are games available for this on cassette. So that there's this uh, audio oh, cable oh. here. And you, and you plug it in. You load the game to the supercharger from cassette. I've never owned one of these. And, and I've been collecting this stuff since the mid to late oh, 90s and i've never seen one at least at a reasonable price no. in a while so this I, yeah, the supercharger I, actually has some extra hardware on it extra ram and stuff so you can get past right. a lot of the limitations of the original 2600 games some of the games were quite quite good so i'm, I'm looking forward to playing with this um i huh. but uh, this is this is pretty cool and I, I never i never seen one like this and especially not for that price anyway but it's so hopefully, hmm. hopefully it works but uh I think that's uh, I think that's all I have. I think I think that was enough. I think I spent enough money today. 
A rising cool. entertainment Very, very class. cool. <laughs> now we've got some wows in the chat. And... Yeah, that's... that's oh, yeah. somebody wants to know, uh, Jason, for your didgeridoo cable, will they have to learn circular breathing? <laughs> no, no breathing techniques involved uh, with this uh, particular cable. No. All right. I was going to say, um, 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 maybe you might have to. <laughs> no, no. That wasn't my brother that asked that question. Was no, it? no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. My brother said this is hamvention scale larceny. I, yes. I, I don't think I'm ever going to top that. That was, that was, uh, and for the folks who missed that one last. May 2019, Dayton Hamvention picked up a Coco Coco One, heavily modified it with extra toggle switches, a multi-pack, an FD502, a disk drive for a Model 100, uh, a co what was it? A, a what was that? What is that thing? It's a gray had a light pen with it with a cartridge. Um, Where'd you get the Coco with the soap in it? That was at VCF Midwest, but I, oh. I got a bunch of stuff that, for $50. Xpad, yeah, Xpad, Multipack, a couple other things for 50 bucks. I mean, it was, it was, it was the, I think it was probably the deal of the year, if not the decade on that one. So next time you go, they're going to say, there's Jason. There's Jason. <laughs> <laughs> there he uh, is. Quick get, quick, get all the stuff out. <laughs> yeah. What, what, yeah. What can we sell him? <laughs> sell him some no, more shit. It's, it's $5 Cocoa 3 with soap powder. That was from VCF Midwest, and uh, it is repaired, and it does work. That it's one? it's clean. It's it's very it's it, it's it's uh, it's very clean. It's very clean, and it's it's right here. So I, I still oh. have it. it I oh, I left the nice. key I left the key switch in it. Uh, I took the key out. It's not wired to anything anymore, but I needed something to fill the hole and act as a. And I guess it's a conversation. That looks that looks very defense department. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, it's, it's a no, great it's place for a power switch. It's no New York Times. Well, it was a broken power switch, and they had taken speaker wire and just kind of jammed it in where it was supposed to go, and then ran it to this key switch, and it was a screw terminal. So, so that was a mess. And then on the, top of it, there was soap powder in it. Do you have the key to go with it? I do have the key. I took the key is attached to the power cord. I didn't lose the key, but I just okay. it's, it was kind of in the way, you know, taping typing. So I do have the key. But... Mm -hmm. I, I don't key. have anything else to fill the hole. That was to keep somebody's little brother from using it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Could have been. I mean, that that tank that power switch was pretty mangled. So who knows? Okay. The oh. last well, one I had on my list was uh, Nick. Yeah, I got a few things. Well, yeah. this is from last. I got one too, just to let you know for after. There, I got Don't to interrupt, interrupt you me. this time. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> Get your own segment. <laughs> That's a throwback to last week. When I, I'm very, I apologize for that, Curtis. Now I get to take over the conversation the next five minutes, like somebody else did to me last week. This sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I showed this last week, but nobody saw it because you know that was during the interrupting thing. So I got Tetris, which I'm really happy about. Cool. Uh, I got some more cartridges. I got Space Assault. Right. And Flip up the first one again so we can see it. Oh, Tetris? <clears throat> yeah, I got, the, I got the cartridge for it, but it's in my cocoa. But I got the case for that one. Yeah. I had this to as a kid. A... I'm very happy. You're going to you're gonna have to make Tetris a game on Challenge one week. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I got uh, Pinball. Terry sent me a few things. Pinball, Space Assault, Bust Out... Popcorn, 
Dungeons and Dagger and Magabug. That was a good song. I also got one of the uh, Deluxe Coco uh, badges. Oh, cool. And uh, and Terry also made these the Tandy Shack badges. That's one. That's one of his sites, Tandy Shack. So yeah, he sent me a nice little box of stuff this week. So thank you, Terry, Tandy and Shack, thanks, cool. and thanks again to Mr. Dave for Tetris, which is one of the ones I had as a kid and wanted to get back again. So cool. I love I'm Tetris. Happy. It's one of my favorite games. So yeah, I, I was thinking of making out a game of the week. I didn't know how people would respond to that, but it's a good game. So, yeah, I'll definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll join in for sure with Tetris. Yeah. So it's and one of the world's most popular, so I think that would be a hit. Yeah. And it's Coco mm. One, Two, and there's yep. a Coco Three version. Yeah, it's a yep. it's a double yeah, it's a fat binary or whatever you call yeah. it. So yeah. does it, now does that count as a Coco Three game or a Coco One and Two game then? It's so it's the same that. game, same graphics, is just that he's extended, you know, what he's drawing for the background on the sides on the three twenty mode. But he's actually using the exact yeah. same graphics, which is it's all four like, colors. Was it Greg Sumwalt? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that could, that could be during a Coco Three week for sure. Well, yeah, that's what I was asking. Like, you have your Coco Three weeks. Is that going to count as a Coco Three week, Nick Morota? <laughs> you know, we have to. We have inquiring minds want to know. I'm not that okay. I'm OCD, but I'm not as bad as you're making me out to be. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it my up. acquisitions. Writing right. up now. He's. Since, since we're talking about um, joysticks and stuff that aren't Coco related, maybe somebody can make this Thrustmaster work on my Coco. I got this for fi five forty nine at Goodwill. PC the PC? PC fifteen pin joystick. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe. And my Goodwill never has anything nice like this. Yeah, look at that. I saw that and I thought, geez. Uh, that's a monster. You used, used to kill for one of those, right? Does that's this a monster uh, that thing? You could fly a plane with that. It, does it does <laughs> it shake or anything, or was that some other joystick that used to shake when you like you hit a rough patch or something? No, that would be a good product too. A PC fifteen game port joystick that shook on the Coco. Mm. Mm. Thoughts to think. Talking okay. of uh, just going just going back to Tetris quickly, I've got uh, Tetris running on the Coco Three now. So in the background there, he's sitting beside behind me. You're ready for the competition. <laughs> uh oh, trash talk already. <laughs> Widescreen. Wide yep. <laughs> All right, Curtis, you had something? Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise, and it's actually along the joystick uh, related thing too. Um, so I got a package I just literally picked up last night because I kind of got busy yesterday and I didn't check the mail till later. And the attached uh, little note here that came with it is from Paul Fiscarelli. <clears throat> and he says, I hope you don't mind me sending this to you. I asked David Ladd for your address. So thanks to Dave and both Paul here, because I was not expecting this at all. I had no idea this was coming. Uh, this is one of the new Coco joystick to USB adapters I've been working on. I figured with all the EOU work you've been doing in optimizing games as well, you might be able to put it to good use and help me understand if there are any issues I haven't discovered yet. So this is kind of a prototype, early prototype. I know David's got one of these as well. Yes, the instructions are somewhat simple, although MAME will take some fiddling. It works great on my MacBook. There's knobs and switches, and I'm going to hold it up here now. So they basically, the uh, Cocoa joystick plugs into here, and on the other side, you've got a micro USB that plugs into your PC or Mac or Linux box, whatever. 
And then you've got some other things here. You've got a little uh, rotary switch here, and you've got some you know LEDs and some press button LEDs. So just to read his description, well, I hold this up. There you go, Ron, your LEDs. <laughs> the knobs <laughs> and switch, the green LED is the rapid fire on, off, and speed adjustment. So you can actually do that. The other push button switch, the blue LED, is the left-right joystick switch, which allows swapping the inputs without having to mess with configs in the middle of gameplay. So this basically will fool MAME into switching left-to-right joystick ports. So you don't even have to go into the main menu whatsoever to do it. Patrick's oh, nice. um, writing stuff down. Set it up once, and you should be <laughs> all set after that. So we included the uh, the actual little box and then a little uh, USB adapter cable for it. I Like I said, I just got it last night. I just opened it up this morning, not knowing what it was. I haven't had a chance to try it cool. yet. Uh, David Ladd has said that he's actually used it in his version of MAME, and it runs pretty well. So, And I definitely play better with the Cocoa joysticks because that's what I grew up with. I wasn't much into modern gaming, so I don't touch all these digital crap you guys do. So uh, this is help my scores, I figure, in MAME. So I'm going to definitely give that a shot. But uh, this is a crap. prototype for a product he is planning on releasing eventually. So nice, it's small, compact. Ooh, cool. So thank you to Dave and, and Paul. And I will give them some feedback once I get a chance to actually try it out. Nice. Right. Cool. Maybe maybe that you'll get a different color of smoke when that comes out. <laughs> Purple smoke. <laughs> yeah. As long as I don't have to solder my hair, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was everything that I think that we had on the list. Um, anything else uh, going on? Uh, I was going to do one update. Um, I've been taking a break from actually writing Nitrous 9 for a while. I've, I've actually found some bugs now I've got to fix the Nitrous 9. Some have been there for years, kind of like some of the graphic ones we found. We found a few other oddball ones just recently. But uh, one thing we've been really concentrating on is getting the updated manuals going. The Windows version of the manual for Windows 9 Level 2 updated for Nitrous 9 is already out on the website. I've been working on the system call, like the technical reference section, which is several hundred pages. And actually, there's quite a few pages being added. So I've just finally completed the get stat calls. And I'm just starting to do set stats calls. And if I can get enough free time this week, I'm hoping to have the whole technical reference manual done uh, for submission to Jay Cyril to uh, actually do the updated version. And once he's got that all typed in and we kind of correct and double check it and stuff, that should be out within the next couple of weeks then too on the website. I know Todd Wallace and a few other people that have been getting into Nitrous 9 have been learning you know, all the ins and outs and all the programming, but they've been you know trying to do certain things that they go in the manual. There's no easy way to do it. So you have to figure out some manual way. And there's actually a lot of hidden system calls that Tandy never documented, even though they've been in there since day one. Plus, there's been newer ones that we've been adding in over the years in Nitrous 9 itself. So this will be the first documentation that covers the whole thing, all combined, all the missing stuff, all the new stuff that we've added on. It also covers so some of the third-party stuff that's you know for certain drivers from other third parties. So we're going to have everything in there, and that should be out in the next couple of weeks. So do so you have a, a version that will print on my TP10? Uh, if your TP10 can pin PDFs, go for it. You might let some smoke out of your TP10 during that. But... Yeah. <laughs> so this buy, is uh, by so case of covers, paper. So this covers EOU as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. In cool, fact, cool. it'll have some highlight boxes if it's something unique to EOU. It actually the windowing manual have that too. There's a few things that are unique to EOU. There's some things unique to Nitrous Nine, and then there's stuff that works on Ellison Level Two and up. So it's actually going to have these little boxes explaining you know what what they're for, or if they're you know for a certain third party driver. Like there's some system calls that are added for say S Disk Three, which is a disk floppy driver that actually handled the uh, performance peripherals no halt controller, which has some special calls and it also had stuff for reading MS DOS disks and, and flex disks and CPM disks and all kinds of stuff too. So I've 
documented those so people want to install that driver and then you you start using special software for them to know how to do it so next cool. year you'll have the english language version this is english language. <laughs> <laughs> well, i would love to see a done one a incomplete one anything this sounds great yeah, like I said, the window, the windowing one, which is updated with the new uh, functions that we've added in, and plus some corrections, enhancements to some of the other functions, is out now. We're going to be releasing the original level two manual, that big eleven hundred page sucker, gradually as we go. So the next one here is a tech reference, and that's like I, I don't know what it's going to end up being. I think it's right now about two hundred and fifty pages, but I've already added about twenty pages that weren't in there in the first place. So, and that's still there's still more to add yet. So it might hit three hundred by the time we're done. And then after that, it'll be basic nine and the commands reference. Commands reference is gonna be getting a ton of extra stuff because I'm gonna put all the third party stuff, how to use AR, how to use MSTER, how to use all these other utilities and stuff that have been written over the years. How to make a real-time clock work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Plug that's a hardware thing. I'm not a hardware guy. Yeah, I'll leave that up to Rick. You can add it onto his joystick thing there, so. Oh wait, he said he couldn't do that, Never mind. <laughs> all, all of my MS controllers have a little cutout in the top. So you could put the Dallas real-time clock underneath the deck basic ROM and it all fit because the ROM ended up flush with the top of the case once you put the Dallas real-time clock underneath it. Unfortunately, you have to saw those apart with the Dremel tool and put batteries in them. So uh, yeah, it's time for work there. Yeah, We're, I'm sure the community is going to figure out a, a decent standard for that at some point here, and then they'll, we'll support it in Nitrous 9. So. But yeah, the manual the manual's a huge, it's actually more work than I thought it was gonna be. So I've actually decided I'm gonna sit down and finish this because it's something that's been needed for literally 20 years. I mean, since Nitrous 9 first came out, we would occasionally have these little pages of the manual saying, here's a new system call we discovered this week and here's a new one we added. But there's never been a compilation of them into like, here's a manual. If you're just starting Nitrous 9 now, rather than have to you know get the original manuals and then find all these little bits and pieces that have been released over the years, here's just the brand new one, the new updated manual. It's yeah, that appeals to me. I'm going to be ready. I ran across a, um, a web page with all the uh, level one discs, you know, um, mm -hmm. and there's so many of them. And are they, um, like I saw a Coco SDC one for level one. I was going to try and run it on my, uh, um, you know, Coco one. Do you TDP. have the link for that, Ron? The link um, for that page? No, it was in uh, Coco, the Coco Facebook group. It was, uh, I think they were talking about, well, maybe it was in the OS9 group. I don't okay. have it in front of me. but The, the nightly um, build one, you mean, with all the different versions? Yeah, all the different versions. Uh, 6309s and then 6809. Yeah, there's Coco VGA versions and regular. Yeah, so yeah. I, took, I took one, saved it off, put it on my SDC. It didn't work. Yeah. So I, I'm going to keep, I guess, doing that until I find something that works or <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing, but each one of those are boot disks, aren't they? Or, or... Yeah. I mean, some are set for 80 tracks, some are set for 40 tracks, yeah. some are set for double-sided, some are set for single-sided, some are 639, some are 6809, some are Coco VJ, some are regular Coco, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. SDC, it doesn't matter, does it? There's SDC specific versions of each because the driver has yeah. to be right. There's also drive wire versions or standard floppy versions and okay. et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so I guess the more I, I keep at it, I'll find something that's. Yeah, if you if you look for the ones that have SDC SDC in the file name and then pick the right CPU and what whether you want the Coco VGA enhanced version or not, that should narrow it down. David Ladd's right? done a bit of fiddling with those. He might be able to. Help too. Okay, all right. And and David uh, Viri, you had a question. 
Oh, that's the same. When is it going to be ready? I need that now. Of which? <laughs> Got nitrous. The nitrous OS nine manual. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty rusty. Well, like I said, there's there's four main parts of the main book, uh, the main level two manual. And we're basing everything on the level two manual. The level one manuals are much more technically oriented. They're more like reference books. They don't actually help teach you. It's it's kind of like going from an Apple II basic manual to a Cocoa basic manual. It's a world of difference for a beginner. So we're basing on the level two, which is a lot easier to understand. I mean, I'm doing the technical stuff first because a lot of the hardcore programmers have been asking for this for quite a while. But we'll be covering basic and the standard commands too. So it's going to be released in chunks. The Windows version okay. of the manual that has all the display commands, you know, to draw graphics, primitives, and stuff. It's the first one that's out now. The uh, technical reference should be out within the next couple of weeks, two to three, I'm guessing, uh, depending how long the proofreading takes and how many mistakes we find. Um, and then I, I don't really have a time schedule at this point for the Basic 9, which is a huge one. And uh, then the main commands one is going to be probably two to three times bigger than the existing level two manual one because there's so many extra commands that are I consider to be stock now in um, the, the official releases of EOU. So I'm going to be trying to cover everything in there uh, just so that people have references. There's different alternative ways of doing things and people can pick their own favorites type thing. And there's a lot of you, you know stuff in there that just n was never part of the original release. So that's uh, probably going to be the last one, I'm guessing. Basic 9 is going to be pretty close to what it is now. I mean, there'll be some mentions like 6 through 9 optimizations. Like if you're doing uh, integer uh, variables and you want to do divides, they're 10, 15 times faster than 6 to 9 equivalent. So maybe that's something somebody will want to know that if they do something that has heavy you know, integer divide in it for doing, I don't know, graphics or something, that they know right. that they may want to target a 6 to 9 specifically because it runs so much faster than if you target a 6 to 9 or, or you know, things like that. And I will be, I do have some enhancements for basic 9. I, I am planning on doing the graphics 2 library has been enhanced. The graphics library has been enhanced. So those new features will all be in there too. But uh, there's there's a fair bit of work there just because the basic nine portion of the manual is the largest by far, and there's just a ton. I think it's four five hundred pages there to do. So that's that's going to take a while. And that one is unlike oh. the other two that we're doing now, has never been typed in before. So that's going to be a, like a you know raw scan it in and OCR it and then start looking for corrections, etc. So those are further out in the future. I can say that the technical reference should be sometime in July. So just okay. to review, here is. The operating system basic 09 multi-view dev pack. <laughs> operating system basic 09 are the two manuals on that you can see now. And that's what he's rewriting. So good luck with all yeah. of that. And then we gotta hit multi-view the development system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of this. All it, of this. Is there like yeah. a, a cliff notes or something? A little bit shorter. Yeah, there's a help command built in. That's got quite a bit, so you could probably use that for now. Uh, being PDFs and searchable would make it easier to find some stuff. It is. Yeah, that is, what, that is what we're outputting. Also printable. So if you want to do it, they're set up for eight and a half by eleven inch paper. So if you have your own printer and you don't mind blowing, you know, reams and reams of paper on it, you can actually print. Oh it man, you gotta fit them in the original binders, man. <laughs> yeah, but you can't Shrink. buy those binders anywhere else if you don't have it. So it's easier. Well, to you can for me. <laughs> <laughs> And me. Just just print it at about forty five percent size or something. That's all you gotta do. <laughs> and drill the holes. But yeah, they're they're all they're all done in a, a word processor. So with the export to the PDF is definitely going to be completely searchable. We're releasing PDFs. We will be releasing the actual uh, Open Office 
LibreOffice cross-platform docs for it afterwards once it's all completed and we've you know, finished double checking and had people come in with corrections and suggestions. Uh, and then they'll become an open source project so people can add to it as they add their own stuff. Interesting uh, side note, my DevPack manual came from Tandy, what is it, STP or whatever they had. The manual came completely printed, bound or plastic wrapped, undrilled. And I literally- So no holes to put it in the binder? <laughs> I drilled the holes with a drill while the <laughs> manual was still in its plastic with a piece of wood on top and bottom. And that is the FPEC manual I have now. The, the white one in this, the whitest pages in this came from that Tandy SDP thing. So wow. that was fun. They, de they delivered a perfectly printed manual with no holes. <laughs> so I'm over in chat. Uh, Ken can make it. Ask uh, or says uh, Cliff took one look at it and had a heart attack. <laughs> He's. I'm glad I didn't do the level one manuals. He would have you know, had a stroke and an aneurysm on top of it. Curtis, so many colors in the stripes. They're supposed to be black and yellow. Oh, Curtis, we really yep. appreciate you doing all this stuff. You, you do it selfless and. Um, well, apparently I get free things for it now because I uh, this is yeah. the reason I got this. So, you know. That's great. Can't, it's not so selfless stuff. anymore. Now I'm going to demand people donate. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do power. a great job. I mean, it's 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 actually appreciated, you know? Yes. I totally agree, right? Thanks. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, plus I'm getting people interested in like like David Wallace, to, or Todd Wallace, I should say, uh, Lord Dragon in, in the chat. He he just done some pretty cool disk basic games, and now you've got a nitrous nine. He's kind of learning, like you know, when you have a real operating system, all this stuff's done for you. You don't have to rewrite everything from scratch. And he's been having just a ball. That he made his new dir command that's based on the MS DOS dir already. Now he's working on an IRC chat client to run over drive wires, so you can actually use a real cocoa to log into IRC chat. So he's he's been you know taking leaps and bounds, and now he's hitting the limits of the manuals where the stuff that he needs to use isn't there. I know it's there, and some of us you know diehard nitrous niners for years to come or years in the past know that these things are hidden away but he of course had no idea because he's looking at the standard manual there's there's no way to do this and i'm going yeah actually there is so it's another thing, reason that i'm actually going to stick to doing the manual here for the next little while so the next version of nitrous night itself on other than a bug fix release with some gimme x add-ons just to give you some bare functionality to use the gimme x um we're going to be concentrating on getting the manuals done bill will still be doing some programming because bill's just more of a proofreader on this part jay is doing the typing and i'm doing you know all the notes of what to change and uh, once that that's done, I'll get back into the actual development. But Bill's going to keep some of the development going in the meantime. Now I've been talking to Alan Decock, and he yeah. he has talked to, to you in the past. And you guys might get together with someone else. Yeah, we're trying to make an arrangement. Like you'd mentioned that uh, Alan, like Alan, I've actually asked on the show before the last couple of years, but he's had a lot of stuff going on that he just hasn't had the time to deal with it. And now that stuff's finally resolved. Um, so he's going to try to get on the next few weeks. I talked to Wes Gale. He's also very busy. He's got a project that they're trying to complete right now. He's doing 20-hour days uh, for a programming project that he's doing in BC. And uh, that should be done the next couple of weeks too. So we're hoping we can get everybody to sync up. And we would like to get the entire commercial Nitrous 9 team for a general history chat and answer any questions people have. Now, this is stuff done before we released it to the public. And it became you know, the Nitrous 9 project with Boise and, and uh, Gene Heskett and... Uh, Robert Galtz and, and I'm forgetting a ton of names here, but everybody else has contributed it since. But this is going to be the like the very beginning of the project was Wes Gale, that's the other guy we're talking about, and Bill Noble, and then I joined in within a week or two, 
And then Alan joined about a year or two later. And then basically the entire development from 1992 through 2001 was that core for group of people. I want to try to get thing. all four of us on for a group interview. It's a good thing you guys weren't like the Beatles and quit and that was it. <laughs> you, you oh, they didn't really quit. They just started doing stuff on their own. But Yeah, but that's cool. And I don't, I don't think Alan or Wes has any interest, at least at this point, of actually getting back into it. And to be honest, I didn't think Bill and I would after because we just got burned out. We did that for 10 years straight. And uh, But now it's it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, we've got emulators now so I can like quickly assemble a huge program really fast and then put it on real hardware. The SDC is faster than the old floppy drives by far and it's faster than most of the old hard drives for that matter so it's and much easier to do you know just to take one of these little cards here and slip it in rather than you know jerk hard drives around between systems if you want to test a 689 here and a 639 here or coco one and two with a vga here and a gimme x over here and all that kind of thing so development's a lot easier and faster now with all the you know cross-platform tours or even running it natively in an emulator and just unlock it i'm running at 500 megahertz now for a coco that's even faster than the uh, coco dev that <laughs> david showed off by a factor of 20 so you know it's, it's a lot funner now and there's no deadlines like back then we were trying to get a new release every year for a while there and you know, you're, you're artificially creating deadlines for yourself you're trying to meet and then you're working crazy hours no I, I will admit I've done that on this too <laughs> even since uh, but that's just because I wanted to get something out because I was excited about it and I wanted to get it done so right now my get it done thing is the manuals so how does your family uh, view you're being into this stuff that they probably have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, they don't, I don't usually talk to them about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, my mom and dad back in the nineties knew that selling nitrous nine paid for several of my trips to Chicago with a profit. So it covered all my food, all my gas, all my hotel. Uh, and then cool. I you know, got to take six, 700 bucks home after the fact. So, you know, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Mm. Now I occasionally get free things like this. So. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, another one, uh, Ed, Ed Snyder, I mean, he sent me, uh, without having to pay for it, a Gimme X temporary board, because, of course, my work is based on the sporting industry with, you know, big arenas and stuff that are going to be the absolute last thing to open with the whole pandemic crisis. So, I mean, I'm not going to have much work. There's a few little bits are getting trickling in now for some other sub-industries we do, but the majority of my work is not going to be opening up maybe even this year pending so mm. we'll have to see what's going on there but uh, it's it's nice that people have actually been you know donating stuff i mean definitely i'll be developing some drivers and stuff for these uh, especially for the gimme x is case so i mean he'll get some payback for it but uh, i'll pay him for it later once once works back to normal but it's 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 been nice getting some of these you know free things it does make me feel appreciated and plus when you guys say it in person that's nice too sure well i got my check yesterday so Oh, good, good, good. I just want to make sure that gets got through without a delay. So, or I would have delayed all this till like next week until it got there. All right. Well, all right. Push are we ready button. to put a fork in this one? Yeah, I've blathered on enough. So, all right. So let me uh, run the outro then. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit
Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Marota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T.com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Final thoughts? Did, did you play the um, Coco thoughts? I, I must yes, have right, yes, right before the it was game uh, related. First, yeah, it's right near the right near the start. Yeah. I was impressed as Daniel Gimes had a game related one because I knew it was a tough week. Yeah. <laughs> Push the button, Frank. All right, say hey. goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, goodbye everybody. 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 everybody.